In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 287, otherwise known as Go Ape! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> should we. I was going to say, should we cover the Jail Ape? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what Hang on, com- guys. We're going to go ahead and postpone this episode. Oh. <laughs> we got another idea. <laughs> we'll be back. We'll, 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 we'll cover Jail Ape right after we do Laura Fleece. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, this is going to be our, uh, if you couldn't tell, our guess, I guess our second part slash finale of our coverage of the Planet of the Apes Green Lantern crossover. Uh, we are covering the final four issues of the six-issue mini. We previously covered issue one and two, and now we're covering three, four, five, and six. Mark is going to take three and five, and I'll take four and six. Uh, and then uh, after a quick break, we'll come back and talk some spoiler stuff regarding War for the Planet of the Apes. Because what better time to talk about it than on this episode? That's right. You could be, This is about as timely as we're ever going to get, and considering this episode, knock on wood, will be released only a few days after we record it, it'll still be timely because it'll be less than a week after, uh, since the movie came out. That's right. So, um, uh, no preamble, I guess. So, Mark, go ahead. You've got the first issue. Go ahead. All righty. So let's just roll through the creative team here. I'm not sure if it changes from issue to issue all that much. Uh, I'm just kind of looking as we speak. Doesn't look like it doesn't really look... Well, the variant cover kind of changed. Some of the variant covers, I think, change. But, uh... We have... So, Robbie Thompson's story, Justin Jordan, writer, Barnaby Bagenda. That's a... That's a nice... That has really good alliteration in that name. He's the artist... Uh, Alex Gumares is colors, Ed Dukeshire, letters, Scott Newman design, uh, Dan Moore does the main cover, E.M. Gist does the variant cover, and there's also classic variant covers, spectrum variant covers, action figure variant covers, which I actually do have the one for issue five, which is pretty damn cool. Uh, so, if I remember correctly, and based on where we pick up in this issue, I must, that I think the last issue, issue two, ended right when Sinestro kind of shows up to, uh, be kind of looming and menacing with Dr. Zayas dressed in a ape soldier uniform, which on one level it almost suits Sinestro, but not quite. <laughs> it's a little baggy. <laughs> so basically now, you know, so Sinestro, you know, pretty much holding a knife in his hand the entire time, so not not so not so subtly trying to get his point across to Dr. Zayas that you really don't have much of a choice in helping me. Try. He is kind of trying to explain, really, you know, what he's looking for here, and that pretty much, um, if you help me get what I want, you know, I'm a man of my word, so pretty much I'll leave this planet and I'll never bother you again. You seem like a reasonable ape, yada yada yada. Um, 
And so, you know, so Sinestro, he kind of menaces Dr. Zayas, and to Dr. Zayas' credit, because if you saw, if you've seen the original movie, or even the first two, you know Dr. Zayas is kind of a, kind of a dick. <laughs> but he's, mm-hmm. but, 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 but he, but he's a confident dick. <laughs> so, so he doesn't, ex- so he doesn't roll over as, as well as many other characters might to Sinestro. Um, but, you know, pretty much Sinestro, but he plays up to Sinestro a tad, making it sound like, what choice do I really have, Sinestro? At this moment in Ape City, we have we have Zira, Dr. Milo, and I believe Lucius that are leading Hal Jordan on a leash. There, there is a situation, Hal Jordan. Well, he may have been in before, but not like this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we don't want to know about that. Um, so they're trying – they're basically leading – they're trying to sneak Hal out of the city, you know, as a slave, you know, as a typical enslaved human. But of course, they get they get interrupted by some soldier, some ape, some gorillas, and specifically a soldier who kind of like he's giving them a hard time. It's like we need to see your orders from Doctor Zayas. The gorilla soldier kind of recognizes Hal, who conveniently tries to turn his head to avoid eye contact. But Hal kind of realizes, you know, this conversation isn't going anywhere. To you know, paraphrase Han Solo. And he smashes him in the face. He knocks the gorilla soldier down. Uh, the 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 other ape starts going for for his gun, and then a little uncharacteristic for Zero, really. You know, she kind of knees him right in the cajones, and, and then knees him in the face, and she's out cold. Um, so at this point, they kind of figure trying to lead Hal on the leash. Really, you might as well give up. You know, the the jig is up. Let's just try to get out of, get out of the city. And you know, the artwork in these pages is not particularly good. <laughs> It's 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 it just struck me when I was rereading this how bad it looks like Hal's missing an arm on that page. When you see the gorillas, you see the on the, um, the pages where the two gorillas are out cold and and the talk saying you can't. Doesn't Hal look yeah. like he's missing his right arm or half of it's gone? Uh, they sneak at this point they they are sneaking out of the city and and who's you know providing the transportation, being having it been arranged by Zira is Nova and she's there with with a bunch of horses. We cut back to somewhere near the Forbidden Zone, or in the Forbidden Zone, probably actually at this point, where General Ursus and his army pretty much are confronted by Cornelius, who, even though he's wearing, this is the Universal Ring, right? Right. This, yes. The ring, and this one is the Universal Ring. That I kind of knew it, but for some reason I had this Phantom Ring flashback. <laughs> can't Blame imagine, it on Jim. <laughs> can't imagine why. That I, I do like. I do like the fact that uh, you know Cornelius is basically standing there confronting Ursus, which is so unlike Cornelius, on his own. First wearing a Green Lantern uniform, then it kind of transforms into a Sinestro Corps uniform, and as he's standing there making it clear that you know that he's really not facing Ursus and his army alone, then the the mutant humans kind of appear, all with different shades of energy on them. Right now, it's right now it's mostly. It's kind of like a yellow and green once we get to the big big splash page. Ursus orders his forces to attack. Cornelius basically t- says, stop them! And then we have a clash between kind of like the emotional spectrum charge, mutant humans, and, and the gorilla army. Meanwhile, meanwhile we have you know, more really questionable art, but we have Guy Gardner who really – Guy Gardner, Arisia, and Kilowog – Gorilla Grodd, and they pretty much are taking Gorilla, Go- Gorilla Grodd to try to get him through the uh, that that hole that hole in reality that that is on this on this Earth. Pretty much will lead them back to you know the Planet of the Apes Earth. 
I really don't know why they think gorilla, taking Gorilla Grodd really is going to work in their favor. <laughs> Uh, so they are, they arrive right in the, right in the middle of the battle. Um, you know, guys all happy because he's in, in in the middle of a fight. I do like the fact that now we some of the I like the the panel of the mutant human kind of looking Palpatine as they are using rage to take to wipe out some gorilla soldiers. Cornelius turns orange real quick, realizing that seeing the, seeing the other lanterns, making it basically like you will not have it, as in talking about the universal ring. You know, guy leaps into battle. Arisia tries to leap into battle, but all of a sudden she kind she kind of gets set on fire. Guy doesn't quite know what's going on. Uh, Kilowog talking to Gorilla Grodd and you know trying to trying to come up to some kind of game plan of what to do with the humans and the and the mutants. And you know, Gorilla Grodd. So Gr- Gorilla Grodd kind of delivers with this this huge mental blast. It kind of leaves pretty much almost everybody staggered. Uh, Arisia and Guy start going towards. That's supposed to be Cornelius, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's really horribly drawn, but it's supposed to be Cornelius. Uh, before they can intercept Cornelius, they get blasted by red energy, and guess who's there? Because <laughs> we might as well have everybody join the party who's still alive. We have a we have Atrocitus and his red lanterns. Uh, they're they're of course there to try to also get the universal ring. At this. I, God, uh, I just keep looking at Dexter, who pretty much looks—they draw him like he's a human. There, almost, the way, he's got like, almost looks like he's got little fists and so little claws. Cornelius, you know, makes it clear that he's not going to allow the interlopers to stop. Uh, doesn't really matter if Atrocitus doesn't care because he kind of trying to wraps—he wraps him up in and red energy, trying to contain him. And Cornelius just kind of like, which is a really cool effect, almost like a. It's hard to describe it, almost like an atom-looking like effect, just the way that, kind of like the way an atom looks. That this ener- these energies swirls uh, or rings blast off from Cornelius. Everybody, everybody gets sent flying, and the flash is so bright that Doctor Zayas and Sinestro can still see it from Ape City. And uh, Sinestro pretty much is a. Uh, he really doesn't. He doesn't care much about that. He just knows that uh, he needs something that can bring an end to the chaos. Uh, and he's talking to Doctor Zayas, and Doctor Zayas wants to show him something. It says it's something that I didn't understand, but I imagine that you do. And he opens a casket, and we see a human, human or humanoid skeleton holding, which we also will, which we also know is that unit that, but Raimi or whoever made that will allow you your rings not to be drained by the universal ring. We see that. This corpse is clutching that, but still also has a Green Lantern ring on its finger. To be continued. So, which cover did you get? I got. I think this is the regular. I think this is the regular cover with Cornelius, like in the middle, like he's leading the Green Lantern Corps. Okay, cool. Because uh, that's. I really enjoy this cover. I haven't seen all the various variants, but uh, I do enjoy this particular cover, particularly for one reason. Do you notice one of the lanterns that really shouldn't be there? Well, that could be a lot. I see bi- buzzed, abyssed. Look right above Aresia's knee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the green loon turn. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> the Daffy Duck green lantern is, is right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That's classy, man. Oh, that's that's a real good call out. <laughs> yeah, the cover's the cover's pretty good. I think the art overall 
is pretty good. Guy certainly looks better on the cover than he does in the issue. Uh, the art is very non-detailed in a lot of a lot of panels. It's very. That's I think that's the best way to describe it. Their faces and a lot of things are lacking detail, and I just it's not really my style of art. So yeah. Um. Just just to, out of curiosity, so we know how like the. Uh, the Star Trek Green Lantern, the first arc, the first storyline was kind of mirroring what would happen as a result of the first movie. And then the second one was like kind of an offshoot of this, uh, uh, of a second movie. What move, since I'm not a big Planet of the Apes guy, what, what is this mirroring? Is it, is it still just beneath this whole thing is beneath? It's, I, it, I th- essentially think it's taking place between be, – at the very least, it's taking place with the events right before Beneath. It could be sandwiched a little bit between the events of, Bene- of Planet and Beneath. But since we saw Taylor when he was dead, he was wearing that white uniform. That would mm-hmm. indicate that pretty much the, the events of Beneath had already started because he didn't get that white uniform until somewhere in Beneath. When he disappears and he shows back up in Beneath, he's wearing his white that white uniform. So I would have to say essentially this is taking place during the time frame of Beneath, the Planet of the Apes. Okay. Um, just so you know, guys, I, like I said, I'm not a big Planet of the Apes guy. I'm probably not going to have much to say. Uh, on any of these issues, except maybe Green Lantern specific related stuff. As far as Planet of the Apes, I'm just going to leave it up to Mark because it's been, God, I can't remember how long it's been since I've seen the original Planet of the Apes series. Uh, and I don't even know. I, I'm pretty damn sure I s- didn't see over half of those movies. I remember I have I have seen the first one. I don't think I've ever seen Beneath. And I think the only other one I saw was Conquest. I, it might have been the Tim Burton one. Oh because, my god! Because because I, I remember some people on the steps of what what is it the Lincoln Memorial or something yes. when they the, yes. when the cops come out and the gorillas get out in police suits or whatever. Yes. Oh. Yeah. I, that's that's I, I remember seeing that, but I think that's about my exposure. So. I'm just going to leave it to Mark in terms of ape stuff. Uh, <laughs> just side note, I had to write down the names of some of these apes before we started recording, so I knew that, who to call what. <laughs> um, Hal Art- Jordan. <laughs> uh, Brad Chokelman. Grod, I've been a- <laughs> uh, Grood. Um, so I think based on – uh, and we're kind of we're kind of jumping ahead, but not spoiling the 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 final issue. We'll obviously talk about it when we get there. Based on how this ends, I kind of feel like the entire Grodd thing is set up for a sequel, and nothing to do really with what's happening in this series. Did it feel like that to you? Yeah. Yeah. It was just an excuse to get Grodd to this world. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, the way the rings work, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. Um, <laughs> that's just, about the best we can say. The universal ring, at least it works differently. Uh, the, the, by the way, the artistic effect of when Cornelius explodes, uh, that reminds me of Firestorm. When Firestorm dis- discharges, it always has that atomic symbol looking thing on there. So um, that's what that reminded me of. Um, 
other than that, honestly, I don't have much else to say about the issue. Um, I feel like that as this series progresses and it, it'll, it'll remain true throughout each and every issue of this, but I thought I'd just bring it up now and say, just keep it in mind as we review all of this, that it's a thought I have throughout every issue. The changes that Cornelius goes through in the emotional spectrum sometimes make sense, but more often than not seem arbitrary. I can understand that. I mean, I mean, if you were to read into it, I guess it might make sense. Like, you know, light spoilers for later on when he sees um, when he sees uh, Zira later on. You know, that obviously would have evoked an emotion of love. That makes sense. But some of the other times, it's just like, eh, I guess I see that. It doesn't really feel strong enough for me for him to just all of a sudden switch colors. But uh, all right, whatever. <laughs> so. That's interesting. But, um, yeah, other than that, I don't have much else to say about this. I'm, I'm trying not to be reductive and and just downplay some of this stuff, but I just honestly I don't know much at all about the Planet of the Apes world, so I'm just leaving all that kind of stuff to you, the, the more in-depth breakdowns on that end. I accept that. <laughs> we, we can roll into issue four if you want. <laughs> oh, you think so? You don't have anything to say about this I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're... I mean, the ending was kind of cool with the, as as we kind of saw, I think earlier, and we're going to see again, certainly in an issue that that this is the the green the Green Lantern that kind of got suckered into, into taking the Universal Ring to, to this dumping ground of an Earth. That I, I I thought I thought that was kind of cool. I do kind of like the Sinestro interaction with Doctor Zayas because they really are two they really are two characters that really have a lot in common from based on their scheming. But I. But I don't know. I, I I have a hard time seeing Cornelius this way. I have a hard time seeing Cornelius be dark, because the only time it, the only time we really ever saw Cornelius be dark in any of the movies was in Escape, and that's just and that's because they were trying to kill him and his wife and his baby. So you can't really blame him. That <laughs> that was more out of self preservation. So I, I I don't see Cornelius as as a particularly violent. I mean, maybe he's got repressed emotions, which might lead perfectly to a, something like this taking control. But I, I, I have a hard time seeing Cornelius almost as a bad guy or an addict, and that's kind of – they may make him a victim because he's not like he's really – the ring's controlling him. He's not controlling it, but still. I don't like seeing – like, I, I don't like seeing Parallax Cornelius. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, issue four then. Um we open up with the story of the skeleton lantern that we left off last issue. And I'll just go ahead and read these word balloons because, quite honestly, I feel like it's the more interesting part of the entire arc. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's just me. Um, and so, of all my kind, I was the only chosen. There was no choice at all. It was obvious that since I could do this, I must. And so I became a Green Lantern. I fought with honor and truth, and so I was chosen for a great mission. A great weapon, too powerful to be destroyed, needed to be hidden away. I was given means to resist its power and ca to carry it f uh, far from the hands of those who would use it for ill. And so I went to another place, our universe, but not time. It was a place of great isolation where they had no knowledge or concern of the greater reality, and so the universal ring was hidden. My mission was complete, and I would return home to glory, but this was not allowed. And so I realized I was meant to remain here forever, 
I could not uh, return to my own t- time thread, my own planet. And so I turned my face to the challenge uh, presented. This world was on the brink of great destruction. This place needed my aid. And so I would save this world or die trying. And it looks like she's trying to prevent the, I guess, the original events that led up, led up to Planet of the Apes. Probably, or at least the, at least the war that led to the, the you know the, the decimation of people and the Forbidden Zone being radioactive and everything else. Right, uh, and obviously she fails. Um, you know what? Actually, this this uh, this sequence here, this particular page, reminds me of. It reminds me of when um, that older story when Tomar Ray is too late to save Krypton. Yep, that's what that reminds me of. Just the way it's laid out. But anyways. Um, so, like, Zayas is freaking out about all this because this ring is suddenly talking. Um, and Sinestro's like, all right, calm down. It's just an audiobook. <laughs> um, and he says, uh, these rings, they tap into what we call the emotional spectrum. He kind of, he's explaining all of that. Green's the color of real, yellow's the color of fear. And Zayas is like, magic. And he's like, no, it's science. And then he kind of almost like, Almost gives the you know any technology sufficiently advanced could would you know appear like magic to a you know civilization un, unevolved or whatever. So um, you have to be extraordinary to wield re- re- the ring. The universal ring drains the other rings of energy that powers them, rendering them as Jordan I discovered powerless. This device is clearly intended to block that effect. I cannot repower my ring, but this Green Lantern ring retains a full charge, and I was a Green Lantern once. Perhaps I can be so again. Now, one key piece he mentions here, as this will come back into a play later, is the fact that this Green Lantern ring is so old, it's still likely, in Sinestro's mind, he believes, it re- still retains the weakness to the color yellow. So he notes that before he puts it on. Puts it on, sparks it up, along with this, you know, universal ring power blocker thing, um, and lights up. And Sinestro is a Green Lantern once more. Meanwhile, back in the for- Forbidden Zone, Hal and uh, Hal and Zira and Dr. Milo and Lucius are all riding... Uh, riding off, they see some smoke or some dust rise on the horizon. Uh, Hal says, Hal is a pilot. That means I have good eyes. <laughs> so <laughs> that means we need to hide because these people are coming. It's um, it's uh, General Ursa's uh, army. And obviously they just <laughs> encountered Grodd and the Red Lanterns and the Green Lanterns and then Cornelius' stuff and all of this stuff that's been going on. So they're running, covered in blood, stuff like that. Probably covered in other stuff, too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fleeing feces at the enemy. (laughs) Fleeing feces for freedom. (laughs) I can see that poster now. (laughs) Uh, War propaganda. Okay, uh, so... (laughs) Uh, Hal and Zira, Dr. Milo, Zeus, or, um, yeah, uh, Lucius, uh, run, uh, right up onto the scene, guys on the ground, and, uh, Zira says, hey, we gotta get the hell out of here, we gotta go find Cornelius, uh, and Hal's like, we need to take care of these folks first, Hal wakes up Guy, says, you know, what's been going on, and then he notices Zira, and, uh, 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 the group. Just call him the group. <laughs> well, Dr. Milo's still there. Yes. 
Zira and Lucius have left to go find Cornelius. To to go find Cornelius. Yeah, just Nova and what Milo's hanging around. Right. So, um, Hal, Kilowog, Aresia, Dr. Milo, Guy, uh, they all talk, talk, catch each other up, what's been going on. Guy goes, oh, here, by the way, your ring's not working right. Here you go, idiot, take this. (laughs) Um, He says... uh, Hal's ring sparks back up, and then the guy lets slip that, you know, hey, where's Grodd? <laughs> Guy's like, and Hal's like, Grodd? <laughs> and you brought Grodd, Gorilla Grodd? And Hal, and Guy says, we were coming to Ape World. He's a talking ape. Waller said he was tame. Hal said, has, says, Waller was hoping you'd dump him in some other world so he'd be their problem. Guy goes, she wouldn't. Yeah, okay, she totally would. Did. Damn it. <laughs> um, yeah. Hal goes, okay, right. So we've got at least three problems. <laughs> so they know to tackle them. Meanwhile, we cut over to Nova and uh, Zira and, uh, and uh, Lucius, and they're going to find, try and find um, Cornelius. They come across what looks like a bunch of I'm just gonna say strung up because it's not. I guess I guess it's technically crucifixion, yeah, right? Yeah, it is. That 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 is a com- that is a common theme in either either just scarecrows without anybody on it or seeing people crucified. That kind of has been a common theme, as we'll talk about. Even when we get to war, they kind of keep that theme kind of going of, of on the on the planet of the apes. So we see a bunch of apes on fire, crucified or whatever, uh, freaks everybody out, and then um, Zero notices it's. Likely an illusion, and how right she is. Because suddenly they're attacked by uh, uh, one of uh, Cornelius's gang, who has Red Lantern powers. Um, Cornelius just shows up, says, "You're not going to hurt them." Recognizes Zira, says that he, you know, suddenly he's feeling compassion, then hope, and then obviously love. Um, and uh, wait, is he? Yeah, that first time he's wearing the the Star Sapphire symbol, but his uniform's purple, isn't it? Yeah, but a lot of pe- a lot of people draw it that way. That's true. And uh, actually, more we know we know te- more people draw it pink, but technically, since it is violet, he actually is appropriately drawn. <laughs> he's wearing the real true appropriate shade. <laughs> um, he tries to convince them all to take a ring. It's not working. Zero is the first one to put one on. Uh, then he forces Nova and um, Lucius to put one on, uh, and then he uh, Zira grabs uh, Ursus and says, "You know, your fear is so frightening. Is it so frightening seeing the future? I'm not afraid of you. You who turn to sorcery and humans, you are not what I fear. You are what I despise." She says, "You would try to attack us in the night." Ape City cannot fall. That is why I'm here. And Cornelius says, your army can't defeat us. You don't understand. They're not my army anymore. And that's when Grodd and the Red Lantern show up. And Grodd is in control. Grodd is a massive effing ape. By the way. Based on at least this drawing. Yep. He's always been a large ape. He's not... He's he's not normal gorilla size. I don't think he's ever really been pictured as a normal gorilla. So kneel before Grodd. 
<laughs> I'm, you know, as as dumb as a lot of this stuff was, I did laugh aloud at that. I was like, they had a chance, they went with it. <laughs> and I'm kind of glad they did. I had a good chuckle out of it. <laughs> yeah, that that one was that one was pretty good. Uh, what do you think of this? Uh, I mean, I do like the fact that that zero would be was mostly sapphire. Um, you would think compassion would kind of be would kind of be more her thing. Uh, but I, I, I see. I think the problem though, this and this this is the problem with this entire arc. I don't think we ever really figure out what in the world this ring is. And how it does what it does. Like, not necessarily like its origins, but what what command of the emotional spectrum does it have for this, like I said earlier, this arbitrary switching between colors? Are you just a – are you just – like, when you put on this ring, are you just along for the ride? I, I kind of get the impression for the most part. Maybe after, maybe not in the, init, the in, initially, but once it starts getting a little a deeper hold on you, once it's uh, gotten a taste of who you are and vice versa, that I think you quickly lose control over it. Hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted. No, it's just like it, it, I don't really know that you did. I. So I mean, I do like the fact that you know Grodd was able to. See, it's a, it's kind of an interesting deba- it's debatable whether I mean the mutants have I mean have t- telepathic and psychic powers, so it's kind of, you could make the case that they should not be so vulnerable to to uh, that kind of attack unless they never unless because they, uh, because unless because that they clearly may not have practiced much against each other to defend to to defend against that attack since they figured no one else would have that power but them then maybe it would make sense. But you would think they might be a little more. They might have been able to respond better. Uh, but I, so clear something. Clear something up for me then. The mutants and Nova, two different splits of the human gene yes. pool, I guess. Yeah. Then okay. The the, the 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 mutants were the ones that they were. They survived. They were. They survived in the nuclear fallout. They lived underground. And they basically they were physically scarred and, ho- and horrible, horribly scarred. But in I guess during the generations since the you know the end the end of our world as as we knew it that they developed these these psychic powers or as they said beneath you know we don't we don't kill our we don't kill our enemies we go we get our enemies to kill each other. So they had you know so they have. Telepathic powers and things like that. So they and and, okay. and Nova, Nova Nova is basically just you know the what's left of the ma- the masses of you know whatever passes for a mass of humanity left in the in the world that these un, you know these these mute um, barely civilized primitive human beings. So that's that that's where her roots come from. Okay. Yeah, again, this Grodd stuff, I get it on the fact that, you know, these the mutants have the the telepathic abilities, but I just, I feel like it's enough to have Atrocitus and the Red Lanterns team up with Ursus, and that's probably enough of a threat right there. Because when you, when you throw in all of this, okay, so you got Ursus and his army, 
you've got the mutants, Cornelius with the Universal Ring, Grodd, the Red Lanterns, Sinestro. It's it's too much. There's too. I feel like they're try. They purposely tried to throw all these things in there to make the stakes seem higher, but it just felt muddled. Who was the Indigo that they killed in the in the beginning? Was that Monk again? I don't remember honestly. I pre- I'm pretty sure it was. I tried. Uh, this was about a week or two ago. I tried. Lis- I listened to the uh, episode we did covering the first two issues, and I'm pretty sure it was Monk. But I do remember some sort of, eh, it, it could not be Monk but it, it kind of conversation but, happening. But, was it in, but it wasn't Indigo 1, was it? It was not Indigo 1. Well, the only, that's, the only, that's the only reason That's the only reason I was asking because it's just it, – it's really, really, really curious that so far we've had one Planet of the Apes crossover, two Star Trek crossovers, and friggin' Indigo 1 hasn't been in any of them. <laughs> Why? That's true. <laughs> it's really friggin' weird when you think about it. You know, it's it's actually been building up in the back of my mind. I'm pretty sure right now it's, like, number two for me. In ter- like, I want to know what the hell happened to the Templar Guardians. Obviously, that's always going to be number one. <laughs> uh, and by the way, did you listen to that audio I dropped into that episode from the interview with uh, – that Myron had oh, on no, the podcast. I, I, I must honestly confess, I'm a few ep- episodes behind of actually listening to our own stuff because I've been. Oh, that's all right. I get it. A lot of people don't like listening to the the stuff that they they. No, I like for. it, and I had been up. To, I had been really, but I, I haven't listened. I haven't listened to Prebirth either, so I, I'm probably three. I'm probably three or four episodes behind. Okay, so no, based on what I what I told you in that episode, uh, obviously I wasn't able to quote it, but. The Venditti in the Venditti, yeah. In the Venditti interview, he says the Templar Guardians are out there. <laughs> so that makes all the stuff that's been happening more recently relatively upsetting. <laughs> but uh, I, w- I was also wondering, you know, where are the Star Sapphires and where are the Zamorans? But honestly, the more and more it happens, the more and more I think. I'm actually a little bit more curious about the indigos than I am the star sapphires right now. Yeah, so because it's like they're just being completely ignored. I mean, you got your problems with the way Vendidi's treated Saint Walker and the Blue Lantern Corps of late. I mean, obviously he's starting to build that back up, which I find really interesting because in that same interview he says Saint Walker is one of his favorite characters in the DC universe. Yeah, he's oh, he's that that's the stuff that makes you want to bang your head against the wall. He's always said that say I mean. He's he said that Saint Walker. I mean, yeah, he. I believe he said he's his favorite. He's he's. I believe he all. He said that he's his favorite supported, a uh, supporting cast character. I think in the whole Green Lantern mythos. I think at one point that he said Saint Walker was, which makes me say, why are you crapping on him so bad all the time? <laughs> I hate to see what would happen if you didn't like him. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, just I mean, you, you can say what you want about his treatment of Saint uh, of Saint Walker, but at least Saint Walker is on the page. In a line, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like uh, we have not seen like a flicker of indigo light in the background of a panel for a long time. <laughs> so I'm wondering what in the holy hell is happening there, um, but. <laughs> That's neither here nor there, because we're talking about War for the Planet. I mean, <laughs> the Planet of the Age Green Lantern crossover. Um, I, I feel like 
the inclusion of Grodd for the sake of a sequel, and I'm pretty sure that's what it was for, um, it, it makes Guy look dumb. <laughs> Not that it takes a lot, but and there's a, but it's a shocker, you know, to go back and make Guy look like a moron. <laughs> yeah. And you'd think that Aresia or Kilowog would stop them, or Kilowog anybody, just because, like I said, his he's always had experience. He's had experience on Earth, um, but I don't know. Maybe they didn't think of that. I don't know. Um, I do like some of the setup in here, and I guess in this issue, the thing where uh, Sinestro is talking to Zeus and says the stuff about the weakness to the yellow and and stuff like that. Obviously. Like I said at the beginning, my favorite part of the whole thing is the first three pages of, like, kind of the origin of this lantern, which we thought was, like, wouldn't it be cool if it was a Malvolio? It's a girl. I don't remember being able to even tell that from from the first the first time we saw her. I don't think it was – it wasn't 100% clear, but I th- – I, when I – I do kind of remember that. I th- it kind of looked possible to me that it was a chick, but – but but sometimes with some of this art, it just could just be hard to tell. <laughs> Unless it's, until you check under the hood, you're never quite sure with this art. You know what would also be interesting? At the very beginning of this storyline, weren't they trying to tie it into some of the stuff that had recently happened? They said something about... <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying to remember what it was, but you're right. There was something they were trying to tie it in. What if this chick is one of the original seven? that we're supposed to be encountering in Green Lanterns. And they, they're just taking her another way. You know, had the universe played off in this, you know, because I, I consider all of these crossovers Elseworlds. That's just the way I see them. If, if the universe had taken this right turn at this right moment, this is the world we would have gotten. And I feel like if this universal ring was created at this particular moment then this lantern would have been tasked to take it. And I feel like, what if this is one of the ori- supposed to be one of the original seven? Possible. I guess we'll know more once uh, once Green Lanterns comes out this week. I guess we'll have maybe a better idea, depending on how much, how, how if we see all this, how far, as we march along the seven, how many, you know, where, where we are at the end of this week's release. Um. That, that actually made me think of something funny. Uh, if anybody out there is good at Photoshop, once a once an image, a clear image of each and every new uh, visual image of these new seven Green Lanterns that we're supposed to get comes out, someone make a someone make a Unite the Seven <laughs> poster for us because that would be funny. <laughs> I'm just letting it, uh, whatever. It, 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 it'll balance out the fact that there won't be, there may not be an actual lantern in, in the seven. So, so it'll balance out because these seven will be all lanterns. <laughs> Back at all you, right. man. Uh, anything else you want to say about this issue? Uh, I don't think so. All right. Go, go ahead and take the next one. Now, I'll have to point out that the cover that I was given the option of which cover I wanted for this one. So I actually okay. have, I have the Doctor Zero Indigo Lantern action figure cover, okay, which is friggin' awesome because <laughs> it's, it's just just because of the the action figure covers are so cool because they just are recapturing the entire vibe of the old Mego Planet of the Apes uh, blister cards. 
So it's just it's really cool. So, and I had all and I had all those Planet of the Apes Mego figures when I was a kid. So, oh, just not this one. <laughs> <laughs> if only we would have known. All right, so so issue five, we go back to. It seems like we have to pick up every other issue with Doctor Zeus and Sinestro. And Sinestro has to be Sinestro, so one of the first things he does with his Green Lantern ring is he kind of like to, puts like a, a chain, a shackle like around Dr. Zayas's neck, and and uh, Dr. Zayas keeps trying to point out that you know you know this is my home, I know it better than anybody else, so I probably you know so I could probably help you, and and you know I just want you out of here, pretty much. <laughs> it's like I want you gone, you want so I'll help you get what you need, and then you know blah 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 blah. And then pretty much Sinestro says, "Okay, you made a you you made a point, and so you get to live for the time being." Because he's Sinestro, he just can't he just can't <laughs> he just can't not threaten somebody, you know. So back in back in the Forbidden Zone, you have we have Cornelius Green, uh, Lucius, and Nova. Even though Nova doesn't really, she, you would never know it was Nova if it wasn't for the fact that we're on the planet of the Apes. <laughs> Lucius and Nova in yellow. Zero still. That's actually it's funny. Zero's Zero is a sapphire, but she's got the red lantern symbol on her chest. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a mistake, or again one of those multi multi merging of colors. Maybe it has to do with the you know Gorilla Grodd standing you know, with the red lanterns behind him, influencing them. I don't know, because shortly thereafter <laughs> he he does start playing with their heads. All all the. Uh, all the lanterns pretty much start falling to their knees, though Cornelius is able to, <clears throat> excuse me, avoid falling to his knees. The Red Lantern's led by uh, Red Skull. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a, a skull there. Uh, that that was, that was that was a good add-in, Chad. <laughs> and because because and and because Grodd's such such a dick that it's not, he's not even content bringing his enemies to their knees. He's got to try to bring the allies that he's mind-controlling behind behind him to his knees, too, just because he can. Um, you know, Gorilla Garage and it just goes, you know, the ring you, the ring you bear weakens them, not as it would other rings, because their powers are not born of the same craft, but enough. And, you know, Gorilla Garage is you know, basically, uh, to, he's tooting his own horn, and <clears throat> Cornelius is still... Thanks to the Universal Ring, is still fighting him. Grodd, you know, tries to prove once again what a badass he is, and he goes, "Uh, he goes, General Ursus, come to me. What is it that your lawgiver said? Ape shall not kill ape." And he just goes, "Ursus, kill that ape!" <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, "I'm sorry, Maximus. You will be avenged." And Maximus is like, "Okay." <laughs> and he he gets his he gets his throat cut, and of course, Grodd, he gets his head chopped off. Is it chopped off? I'm a, I wasn't I'm sure, sure if it was, was chopped off. It was bordered. I think they re- I think they referenced it earlier, and he says something about beheaded or chopped off. All right, only because it's a pretty small knife. <laughs> that's, hmm. Now that's a knife. No. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> let's bring all these other franchises we can get into this one episode. <laughs> so Gorilla Grodd, you know, really full of himself now, is like, I am the law giver. <laughs> and. Cornelius is not impressed. He goes, ah, this is just a show of dom- dominance because you just can't make me kneel. It's like you cannot take my weapon, so you would beat your chest and try to cow me like your- our primitive ancestors did. <clears throat> and you know, Cornelius is kind of 
this is funny. Like Cornelius, kind of like all he his his whole little allied group there is is brought kind of like back online. But now they're all wearing they're all wearing red symbols and everything. Uh, so Gorilla Grodd kind of gets pissed at that. Nova Nova attacks him. That doesn't particularly go well. Uh, looks like Lucius and Zira attack Grodd, but at least they blast him pretty well. So at least he, they draw blood. Now that pisses Grodd off, and the Red Lanterns. You know the real Red Lanterns, led by 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 Atrocisskull. There <laughs> leads his Red Lanterns into battle. Uh, Cornelius has kind of like encased himself in a like a, a green energy sphere with like almost like hexagons or something that kind of pattern to the shield. Uh, they're attacking the shield, trying trying to get get in. Atrocis, you know, it's just it's just a whole a duke out between these different lanterns and their lackeys while a tro- while Cornelius stays inside. Grodd is like, "You'll give me what you'll give me what is mine by right, ape." And at that point, <laughs> guy shows up and smashes him in the face with a green fist. It's like, uh, "You're gonna get what's coming to you, all right." Um, <clears throat> uh, is that now? Is that supposed to be Cornelius? No, Milo. It's Milo. Now I see it. Okay. For a minute, it threw me off. What the hell he's trying to do? So now, pretty much, My- Milo is being sent to warn the uh, warn Ape City about pretty much what the hell's going on here. Just in just in case they fail, it's kind of to give them the- to give them the heads up. I like guy puts on the puts on the green po- uh, boxing gloves and he's duking duking it out with the Gorilla Grodd. Uh, you know, Hal kind of enters the. Hal kind of enters the fray here along with Kilowog, and they're now they're attacking the Red Lanterns. It's you know it's just kind of like a one one. It's really one big mess, really is is what it is. Uh, <clears throat> guy, you know what? Guy continues duking it out with Grodd, and and looks like Kilowog's taking on Rancor. It looks like we're supposed to be Rancor and uh, uh, Dexter. Uh, Hal goes over to. Cornelius, who tries to convince him, you know, is this what you want? Which is kind of funny because he's almost like being ganthed to Hal Jordan's parallax, trying to say the same thing to him. Is this what you wanted? And you know, and Cornelius, no, you know, it's like no, zero. I didn't mean for this, you know, to, for this to happen. So he starts kind of going back sapphire, and Gorilla Garage just starts smiling at Guy, and Guy being Guy is like a kind of oblivious. It's like, why, why, why are you smiling? You're losing. It's like, no. You think I was fighting you? I wasn't, and I have won. And now we kind of see the uh, the, the mutant humans kind of like have, have, have sprung back to their feet. Uh, and basically, Gorilla Grodd is using the, uh, the, met, the mutant humans to use telepathic attacks now, I believe, because that's one of their powers from beneath is being almost like putting the high-pitched sound in your ear so it would drive you crazy and, and incapacitate you. Um, <clears throat> so Gorilla Grodd is pretty much brings it, brings everybody down, everybody to his knees. Uh, so he's he's pretty confident that he's won. Now Cornelius is still free, in red. He's got the red symbol on his chest, and Cornelius is like, uh, "I wish you were right, but they're still fighting." Cal's trying to shake off Gorilla Grodd. I like Cornelius is like, "No, I will show you mercy. Surrender now." And of course, Gorilla Grodd is still, you know, it's like, "Are you crazy?" It's like, <laughs> and. Right before Cornelius is about to, you know, really unleash hell on, uh, I really am bringing a lot of movies into this. <laughs> unleash hell uh, before he's able to you know, use some Red Lantern powers on Grodd. 
Grodd kind of points out that, well, maybe you could, maybe you could take on me, but you know, but what, or, or kill me, hurt me, but what about your beloved? And he, ca- and he captures Zira. He has his hand around her, th- around her neck and head. And Cornelius is like, you know, do not touch her. He's like, give me the ring, give me the ring. And he's got, he plays head games. It's like, you know, it is inevitable. You can hardly stand. Why fight? And Cornelius is actually thinking about giving him the ring. And Hal Jordan's like, you know, kind of trying to shake this off. The psychic attack off a little bit more, going, you can't. Look at what Grodd pretty much had done without the ring. You imagine what he would do if you give him the ring? And, of course, uh, that doesn't go too well. <laughs> Hal's interference isn't met with a great deal of positivity from <laughs> Gorilla Grodd. Hal's incapacitated again. And, you know, Zero pretty much trying to appeal to Cornelius telling him no. This is the part that's kind of confusing to me. What what starts happening to to Zero to begin with? Is she start, is she doing stuff to herself? Yeah, she's doing stuff to herself because she says, "I saw what's inside Grodd's head. I know what he would do with this ring." So basically, she start, she be, almost like starts the process of seemingly about to kill herself. And, she does. Well, she bored. Well, whether she succeeds without Cornelius's help is maybe debatable. That, but but either way, oh, gotcha. you know what I mean. But either way, she she is whether she succeeds all on her own or not. She's beginning. She certainly is about to kill herself. And by doing that, Cornelius is overcome completely with rage, lashes out with the you know with red powers, and incapacitates. Gorilla Grodd, you're probably right looking at this panel because she's still essentially in one piece other than the top of her head, which was disappearing anyway. Zira is dead. You know, Hal's now, you know, not incapacitated anymore. Uh, so he's like Cornelius. It's like, stop this before anyone else gets hurt. It's not too late. And then we hear, yes, it is an atrocitous, you know. Now, are we supposed to think this is really the butcher or just a construct of the butcher? It's a construct That's of the butcher. That's what I took, the, took it as, too. So atrocitous knocks Hal. You know, to onto the ground with the, with the uh, butcher construct, uh, howls down. Now, the, you know, Atrocitus and the Red Lantern seemingly have the Green Lanterns all out on their feet, and Atrocitus is cocky. He thinks he's won, so he goes reaching for the for the Red Ring. I mean, for the Universal Ring off of Cornelius, who's also pretty much got, has no will to fight at this point, and right and Right on cue, as Atrocitus goes, after all, who can stop me? You know, he gets bla- he gets smashed in the in, in the in the arm with a with a green energy construct mace, and of course, who 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 is wielding it? But Sinestro. To be <laughs> concluded. Thank God. <laughs> um, the moment with Zero was cool, I guess. Um, that that you know she would show her even through her influence that Cornelius put upon her in the first place, she would still show through uh, her love and her compassion, her hope or whatever, um, and sacrifice herself. So Cornelius wouldn't make a, wouldn't be responsible for a dumb move that he knew he'd regret later on. True. So that's cool. Um, I know it's stupid and kind of juvenile, but I thought about it while we were reading this. All these apes are wearing clothes, right? Yes. What is it like for them to have the biggest gorilla they've ever seen dropped in the middle of them, completely bare-ass naked and telepathic? 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, in, in between their moments of being totally mind-controlled, you're right. Maybe some, maybe the reality of that will sink in at some point. Big, naked, telepathic gorilla. <laughs> like, we, when, when, um, when Grodd grabs Zira, and then he says, unless you give me that ring, that one panel where he's holding her super close... Are we sure she's really scared there, or is she just really bothered by what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> this big naked ape just grabbed me. What's happening? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think, you know, I think there's good ways to handle te- telepathy and telepathic attacks and bad ways. And I feel like this is somewhere in the middle the way they handle it in these these issues, because it's unless you're, I mean, really really paying attention, it's hard to tell what's what's what. You know what I mean? Right. Is it a, is it an attack from Grodd? Is it an attack from the mutants? Who's attacking who? What's going on? It's it's. It's difficult. I think that's why there's like all these multimedia things throughout the years have always done something visually with like telepathy. I mean, I know it's cliche and stupid and everybody makes fun of it, but you think of Aquaman and Super Friends calling to the fish and you get the boom, boom, boom. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's telepathy, but the, you have to visualize it somewhere. Somehow you can't just see him squint into the distance in the water. All right. I mean, you got to do something. I think he's constipated. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's constipated. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's good ways to do it and bad ways to do it. I just don't know if they did it enough in a way that makes it a hundred percent clear what's happening some of the time. Yeah. I, it, 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 it. Yeah, they, I think they are leaving it to the to the reader. Yeah. Um. Other than that, I don't really. I don't know what to say. Except, I mean, it. It. I can't. I'm not. I'm not going to compare this seriously to uh, the Venditti run, but it, I just find it interesting that <laughs> guy can take down Arkillo <laughs> without a ring. And with a ring, he can't take on Gorilla Grodd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was he was doing okay against Gorilla Grodd, but Gorilla Grodd obviously really he, he really wasn't fighting back on purpose <laughs> to a large extent. But I I agree. I mean, but that 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 just that just points to the pure folly, as we all know, of guy of guy being able to even last like one. No pun intended. One punch with Arkillo. <laughs> Batman can take him down with one punch. Arkillo can't take him down at all. <laughs> oh, cause my father whipped my ass when I was a kid. <laughs> it's like he's like he's getting this rock. Jeez, oh, I'm yeah. I'm gonna try to bring every franchise we can into this episode. It's it's like a ba- it's like a bad bad flashback from from Rocky when Mickey's like, get up, you son of a bitch, cause Mickey loves you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and slowly but surely guy gets up <laughs> next reference Jaws <laughs> that'll be a tough one <laughs> um, but uh, I'm sure we'll figure it out uh, uh, yeah otherwise I don't the art still remains remains nebulous I'll say this for the art it remains consistent yes, I, just, I just I just I just think the 
See, I, I don't know if – speaking as somebody who has seen the the movies and is really a big fan of the franchise, would you say that these apes still look for the most part like, – like would you be able to look at them and tell who that ape is supposed to be? The same way you could look at the Star Trek issues and go, well, that's clearly supposed to be Spock oh, no, no, or no, no, Kirk no, no, or no. Scotty or – no, the 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 art the art in this series is nowhere near. I mean, there there's no real attempt to. I mean, clearly there's no attempt to have any any actor likeness in, in, in these at all. I think it, I think with the chimp. I mean, really, that's why I was confused at that one scene when uh, about Milo until I realized that you know Milo wouldn't have been uh, you know Milo wouldn't have been you know in excuse me Cornelius wouldn't have been back in his regular ape outfit. At this point, we, even no matter what color he was switching in between, so the the apes the apes are really hard. Zayas looks somewhat like Zayas, but he's also dressed like Zayas, so it's easier. And Ursus is wearing that you know the hat, so it always makes it easier to tell him because that's kind of his trademark. The armor and the hat was a general Ursus thing, but it's yeah, it even I don't think Zero looks much like Zero. So, hmm. speaking, of, that's the last thing I wanted to bring up in terms of what I had to bring up about this issue. The way Hal handles Milo and putting him down on the ground, like you couldn't put him on a platform. <laughs> like you had to hook him by the back of his shirt and lower him. <laughs> <laughs> he he could have gave him an energy construct jetpack and flew him so he could fly back to the city. <laughs> he hooks him by the back of the shirt with a construct crane and lowers him down to the ground like, We've seen lanterns fly people around in bubbles or on platforms or something. What in the world is Hal thinking? <laughs> like, oh, he's a monkey. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, you know, do something uh, totally humiliating. <laughs> at least he didn't. So, get, at least he didn't give him a banana. <laughs> that's true. Um, so that was that was interesting. But that's the last thing I wanted to say about this issue. You got anything else? No. Let's take us home, man. All right, so uh, the final issue of Planet of the Apes, Green Lantern, which still doesn't have a title for the story, but whatever. Um, oh, oh, you know the sequel, Will. <laughs> uh, the, at least this issue, I think, is titled uh, The First Lantern Ape. <laughs> uh, that that cover does kind cover. of seem like it. Which cover do you... I have, well, you have the digital, right? So... Yeah. So I, I have the one where Cornelius is going full emotional spectrum, and you don't go full emotional spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Yes, another reference! <laughs> Still waiting on Jaws. All right, so um, – oh, by the way, do you know there's a podcast out there? I think it's a podcast called Is It Jaws? <laughs> they review movies, but instead of like on a one to five scale, you know, five being the best, they compare every movie to Jaws. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's interesting uh but anyways um so sinestro shows up obviously beats the crap out of uh atrocitus knocks him on the ground um uh sinestro is about to execute atrocitus when hal stops him uh guy starts the guy and kilowog start taking on their respective red lanterns that were about to take them out Aresia goes up against Skalix. The guy goes up against Rancor. Um, <laughs> Kilowog just grabs <laughs> Dexstar in one hand and says, bad kitty. Uh, Sinestro and Hal have their predictable fight. Um, 
the Cornelius is still overwrought by what's been happening. All of a sudden, everybody else takes notice of what's going on uh, and shows up to the fray in terms of the Red Lantern Corps. This is when Ursus approaches Grodd and says, you know, ape shall not kill ape. You violated me. You made me violate that law. I have lived my life by the lawgiver's word, and I will do so again, just not today. And he stabs Gorilla Grodd seemingly in the face slash eyeball. Slash, I guess that would mean brain. Uh, killing Grodd. Then, um, Zaius, uh, uh, yeah, that's right, Zaius, right? Yes. Uh, Zaius shows up, uh, and Ursus says, I wondered when you would arrive. Uh, we need to evacuate the city. One of your, I dispatched one of your apes as soon as he recovered. I'm also going to need your belt. Uh, they take off Grodd's body. Zaius has a plan. He's, we need to secure the situation by using gods to fight the gods. All of it's a big kerfuffle. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> it's a big kerfuffle. This this there's a lot of that. You know, it, th- that's another thing about this story. Like all of a sudden, the enemy switches like four times. <laughs> so, the enemy of my enemy is my enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Cornelius uh, goes full emotional spectrum. Uh, lights up all of his little followers too in the same weird veiny suit thing. Um, uh, kind of cool, Cor- that's what the universal ring kind of looked like, you know what? Yeah, uh, C- Cornelius and uh, and Nova grab each grab an end of Atrocitus and rip him in half, oh. literally. Yes, that's a painful way to go, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, although it's not a very creative way, no. just because uh, just because of where he splits, <laughs> it's like. You guys literally just drew a half of a figure yes. <laughs> and cut it right down the middle. <laughs> like it'd be more jagged, right? He's still wearing some... his ring, and he still got his his fake heart beating with the ring, so he could still be alive. Yeah, <laughs> just a flesh wound. Yes, another one. <laughs> so the Reds are going for the Universal Ring, and uh, Cornelius is taking everything on. This is when Ursus's army shows up, starts taking on Cornelius. Um, nothing happens. Sinestro and Hal try to take on uh, Cornelius. That doesn't do much of anything at all either. Then it's Cornelius and his mutants versus <laughs> Guy versus the Green Lanterns versus the Red Lanterns. Everybody's fighting each other. Um, Zeus helps Hal out and says, yeah, you haven't really been thinking about this, have you? Like a stupid human. You really need to think. Uh, those things you guys have on, they're designed to protect you from the effects of the Universal Ring, right? Well, what happens if you were to put it on him? Uh, says, my God, that just might work. Uh, so he's got a plan now. They're going to go put it on him. They take on Cornelius. They each slap one uh, on each of his wrists and then on both of his ankles. Everybody's falling from the sky. Sinestro and other people still equipped with power catch each other as they fall. And then Sinestro backhands Hal grabs the universal ring. There will be peace. There will be order. You are not prepared, but I am. Then Zaius shows up and puts a yellow belt around Sinestro's neck. Sinestro drops the ring. Cornelius walks up and grabs the ring, puts it back on his hand. Uh, right as Sinestro elbows Zaius in the face. In the face! Uh, Cornelius says, I pray I'm not, I am, that I am strong to do this one last thing for you, for us, for all. Um, 
I'm not strong enough to give Zeus asked him to give him the Cornelius to give him the ring. I'm not strong enough for that. I can hold back. Uh, I can't hold back the hunger of this ring for long. We have been caught in a cycle. I see that the humans destroyed themselves and ape rose. And if ape should fall, the humans will rise. It will happen again. I'm not strong. I am not brave, but zero was. And for her, I am strong enough, brave enough for now. The cycle will be broken. The ring cannot be destroyed by anything outside of itself, but that does not mean it cannot be destroyed. I will see that it simply requires sacrifice. And boom! Uh, and he explodes. Sinestro says, uh, senseless, uh, nothing will change. Uh, and then Hal, Guy, Kilowog all say, you're going to put up a fight, really? We just need to do this again. Guy grabs him from behind. They say they're going to leave. Hal uh, apologizes to Zaius for all the destruction, and Zaius basically just tells him to F off. Um, everybody goes through the portal back home, and uh, as Zaius says to Ursa as everybody leaves, perhaps Cornelius was right. Perhaps we can break the cycle. It would appear your ruse worked, Ursus, and Ursus says so it would seem. Uh, and then back over in Gorilla City, or not Gorilla City, I'm sorry. Uh, what is this place called? Ape, Ape City? Yeah. Um, the wound you made was quite bloody but superficial. Uh, you are precise, sir. You may go. That uh, restraint you wear is explosive. It must be reset every hour. I do not know the combination, nor do I know who does. You used your tricks to quite literally save your neck but further deception will lead to your death. Now tell me about this other earth that thinks, thinks my home is disposable. Will they come here again? And we see Grodd strapped to a table. Uh, he is still alive. And then we also see who else is still alive. It is Cornelius in Green Lantern mode on his back, waking up in the middle of a street. It says, I live. He's laying on a sidewalk. And as he looks up at the skyscrapers above, one of the buildings is topped with a giant golden globe rotating, and it says Daily Planet. And the end. I like uh, Grodd looking at Hannibal Lecter like there. It's also interesting when you think he's the only big naked ape strapped to a table wearing a leather mask. But <laughs> that is neither here nor there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just had to bring that up. Um <laughs> Yeah, again, this this was just convoluted. Uh, this is the most convoluted of all the issues because this one it was when everything just deteriorates into absolute chaos, which I get the sense because of the story it's supposed to, but it, even in terms of the reader keeping track of what's happening on the page, it it just dissolves into chaos. Who's fighting who for why? What's even happening? Like it's it's chaos. Yeah, it is. I, I don't I've, I don't think Doctor Zayas even with the friggin' belt I don't think he's he would have been able to really get Sinestro to do what he wanted him to do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, that was interesting. You'd think he'd find another way, but. It, show, it yeah. shows that it shows that Zayas pays attention, which is not which at least it, which you could say is a characteristic or a personality trait, which is it would be accurate that he would my little minutia that other people might not pay attention to that. But I, I'm you know I think Sinestro would be able to would be able to deal with that. Um, yeah, 
I, 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 I find it real interesting that when guys like, oh, when he's practic when he's like begging Sinestro to put up a fight and he goes, you know, I'm begging for you. You killed, Wa- you killed Walker. Give me an excuse, which is real funny because we know in our continuity for saying, saying Walker, did we know who the fuck Guy Gardner was like four <laughs> issues ago? <laughs> Guy Gardner means nothing to me. Are you sure? We- <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat looks familiar, but I can't place it. <laughs> um, you know, our best friends, but your but your best friend, Arkillo? No. <laughs> Sorry, kid. Uh, honestly, outside of uh, outside of just the general chaosness of this thing, I, I, I don't have much to say about this issue here either. And I know it's the wrap up to the series, so I don't I don't know what to say. I think I think that's that's all I've got, man. So you, you you you're welcome to take it from here. I don't know what else I can say about this series. Uh, I was going to say I thought maybe like I was going to add in like maybe I thought the atrocitous death could have been handled a little bit more artistically, but just kind of within the style that exists. Like, do we like the style? No, but within this this artist's particular style, I was going to say like wouldn't it have been cool to see like pieces of his spine, you know, in there or. You know, some something more than just kind of like a gush of blood that just kind of distorts any detail. But this artist style doesn't have a ton of detail in the first place. So it doesn't really make sense, I guess. That sums it up nicely. So, but I don't know what else to say. So you're welcome to go ahead and give those closing thoughts if you want. Uh, I do... I kind of like the uh, Universal Ring outfit. I kind of there's something about it I kind of liked, especially with especially with uh, Cornelius's little feet p- poking at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought that was a nice touch. <laughs> but the, giving him like the little like the little ape shoes that they have, almost sort of like an homage to those. I <clears throat> I just have a hard time seeing Cornelius be bad, so it's it's just not. I don't know. I. It, the the or the the Ursus thing is kind of clever, though I don't necessarily know. If, again, if I believe that just by tying him to a harn a harness like that would get him uh would actually work. I mean, you would think Girl or Grog could kind of figure a way out of that somehow, but I don't know. Maybe he will right. over time, but it just uh <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. Um. I think that's 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 gonna do it. I guess uh, there's one other thing. I went on Twitter today and I said, "What are your thoughts on the DC Comics Boom Studios Green Lantern Planet of the Apes crossover comic?" Get your thought in as thoughts in ASAP. We had four people reply to that. Kyle says, "Eh, that's pretty much it." Eh. <laughs> Glad they gave some panel time to Kilowog and Aresia, though. That's more than the main books are doing lately. I agree with half of that. Kilowog's pretty prominent over in the Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern core title. At least almost as much as someone like maybe Kyle. So that's interesting. But I don't, you know, he might be right. I feel like maybe Kilowog is just background right now. I don't feel, do you feel like they've done anything significant with him really? The only thing I can think of is is in the training stuff with, with Jessica, but that's just about it, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Then Laurel, we know Laurel, yes. says, uh, I know next to nothing about the Planet of the Apes, so this series wasn't for me. Sorry. 
Uh, Andy says, I think it was tedious. Too many old tropes. Sorry, but Sinestro needs a rest. Simply not good. And then Jesse says, I've only read the first four issues. Not impressed. Not Justin Jordan's best work. So, interesting that, uh, I don't know if I'd, I'd, I'd call Laurel's uh, a, a negative review because she's just kind of saying that she knows nothing about Planet of the Apes, so she's just wasn't for her in the first place. But for uh, at least three people that who responded, they read it, and none of them really liked it. So that's interesting. What, what are your thoughts on it overall, Mark? So, so what you're saying is there's no universal love for the universal ring. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, we we all know how you feel about the Star Trek Green Lantern stuff, so when it's a property that you actually really enjoy, enjoy and have connections to and pay attention to, is are your thoughts maybe different? Maybe do you have a little bit more affection towards it than these folks do, since it's something that you're closely tied to? I think I do have a little bit more natural affection because I do care about the property. That doesn't change the fact that it wasn't really a particularly good story. I uh, or or may, the concept may not have been bad. The execution wasn't wasn't really well done. Uh, I don't think the the art I don't think helped. Um, it was such a blatant ending just to, just to set up sequel. Like you said, not just the Grodd stuff, but just the stuff with Cornelius. I mean, I just. I don't know. I I was I would have to say I was disappointed. I was disappointed in the series. I thought I thought it was going to be better, and I don't know how gung ho I am to to see a second one. That certainly not anytime soon. I did, which is just on a purely aesthetic level. I do kind of like the fact that how the covers were all like matte or flat finish, not glossy. I thought that kind of worked. Right. Uh, I thought that was a, I thought that was like a nice stylistic choice. Um, Welcome to Boom Studios. Yes. So I think that was a nice choice. Um, it's a nice change of pace, anyway, from what we from what we usually read. So I, I think it definitely suits the style of of the book. But it was they they could they could have done so. I think they could have done they could have done something better. Uh, the only thing that kind of intrigues me a little, only very very little, is obviously now because of. Because of them interrupting the events of Beneath the Planet of the Apes, that this planet, which was otherwise would have would have blown up, uh, probably for the se- <laughs> we'd like to think it's not going to. So then there's a whole, I guess you could tell a whole bunch of different stories on the Planet of the Apes, or go in different directions now that be that they never did because the planet's going to survive longer. But you also killed off Zero, who's one of the cooler characters in the entire uh, Planet of the Apes lore. And have Cornelius be at least somewhat responsible, even if again, even if he wasn't the one who kind of killed her. If she just killed her, killed herself, and he lashed out afterwards, it's still the point is, yeah, he's, yeah. It, that's interesting because, like I said, I don't, I, I don't know much about Planet of the Apes, but however, without Cornelius, without Zira, with Ursus and Zeus still being around and in charge of Grodd. For the most part, or maybe not even in charge of. Let's say Grodd gets loose. Just Ursus, Zeus, and Grodd, and then all that's left on the positive side of things is Milo and Nova and the other one, Lu- Lucius. Uh, Lucius. <laughs> Are they enough? No. 
of a positive influence on the planet of the age to even make a difference against those odds. <laughs> so no, because and, and and especially because all where you have one character who can't speak, <laughs> and, and then you have the and both of the other two characters were really, really never really they were not truly developed. Lucius had a little bit of a role, especially in the first movies. He was he was he was basically representing like the 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 youth and the counterculture movement in 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 our society at that time. That's that's what his role was. The you know, fighting the you know fighting the man, fighting the system. That's what his role was in the in in the original movie. But and Milo was just never. He was kind of a blank slate. He kind of only really existed on, of relevance to show up and to to help explain how they could fix Taylor's spaceship to get fl- to end up back on Earth and escape from the Planet of the Apes just so he can get killed like within the first five, ten minutes of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so he he he's he's not exactly a, a crowd pleaser. But. Yeah, I just I don't know what they're gonna do with it. Um, I guess the only thing they can do is if they do a sequel to this. It seems like they're trying to. Um, although I don't know if they'd be able to, uh, just based on reaction and based on. I, I haven't seen sales numbers, but I would assume just based on reaction, the sales aren't that high. Um, I'd be interested to see what that is, though. But I just feel like if they do a sequel, it's going to take place in the DC universe. Because at the end of this story, you're getting Ursus asking Grodd if, tell me, you know, hey, tell me about your world. And then the Cornelia side is he's in the DC universe. So it really feels like they're pushing for that. Like this next story, we're not going to see, you know, Planet of the Apes, Green Lantern. We're going to see uh, Green Lantern with Planet of the Apes. Like I wouldn't be surprised if maybe DC published the sequel because it takes place largely in their universe instead of vice versa. Yeah, I mean they could they could split it. They could have part of it take you know have, have a dual story like that uh, where part of it. Yeah, but I just don't see the, I don't see the story though. What is the story? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, let's, I mean obviously Cornelius will be trying to get back home. Uh, I, I I don't know. Maybe well we they're, well they're well they're clearly they're clearly setting up that it, that for. Zeus and Ursus there would like to almost almost like do a preemptive strike in the planet that thinks that thinks they're so disposable. So I guess you could end up having somehow you they could tr- somehow try to use Grodd to help them so that maybe they can invade Earth or something. Then then you could ever then you could have a story. Then if I know could, that I know I know that's what I mean though. Like next the the sequel almost has to take place on the DC universe Earth. Yeah, because most, most of it if, you are correct. If it were to take place, if they wanted it to take place on the planet of the apes, it doesn't make sense to me because what would that story be? Like, what is what is there the, to tell a story of? So, yeah. Right. Anything else? Nah. You working at a Jaws reference yet? <laughs> I, I I'm I'm thinking of a Jaws reference. I mean I know which I know the natural reference to go, but I just but it has to flow naturally. So if somehow when we're to, as we continue on, you know, and talking about about other things here, uh, I might be able to work it in. 
Um, so we'll see. <laughs> at the very end of the show when we talk about somebody arriving. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's pro- that, that, would, that would that would probably be that would probably be the e- the easiest way to do it. But I actually was I was trying to be creative and th- think about how to do it in the War of the Planet of the Apes talk. But but, but we'll see. Maybe maybe there'll be a, maybe there'll be something else unexpected. I and all of this was not planned, by the way. This has just been rolling off me tonight because I'm on a roll. Uh, but maybe there'll be another franchise I can I can maybe we can work Star Wars into, into this. <laughs> All right. Well, we were going to take a break, but that would just make editing more complicated. Yeah, more I was going to say when you said that earlier, I was like, we really don't we don't really need to for today. I mean, we have some feedback, but we I think we'll do that next episode because we'll probably be doing Green Lanterns next anyway, and that would be good because we're talking some of the feedbacks about regular <laughs> issues and the writing in it. So I guess we could that would that would kind of go work better anyway. So. All right, so we're going to transition to the next part of the show. Uh, Mark and I have both, obviously separately, but we both saw War for the Planet of the Apes. Um, War for the Planet of the Apes this past weekend. Uh, I saw it, as we record this, yesterday on Sunday. Uh, Mark, when did you see it? I saw it Thursday night. Okay, cool. Um, uh, So, obviously, we're going to say spoilers for this. Um, later on in the show, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones, the season premiere. So there will be spoilers for that as well. So but pretty, if you saw, so pretty much, if you don't want spoilers for either either one of these things from this point out, you probably don't need to hear like the next twenty or so minutes of the show, probably. <laughs> but true. But it, I think there'll be some interesting stuff, at least for the ape stuff. So at least if you don't mind, if if you don't care all that much about spoilers for that, Game of Thrones, I could see maybe being a little because maybe some some people haven't been able to watch that first episode yet, even by the time this comes out in the middle of the week. So I could see that more, but but for, but again, just as a general disclaimer, yes, there's going to be from here on out there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of spoilers going forward for both apes and Game of Thrones. Even though, to be honest, there's not much in Game of Thrones episode one. There really is a whole lot to be spoilerific about, to be fair. But, Except for that first 10, 20 minutes. Well, yes, but that's the best part. Yeah. But I, but yeah. I mean, yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to start with uh, – we're going we're gonna to try and separate these, obviously. We're going to talk uh, War for the Planet of the Apes first and not let any of the Game of Thrones stuff leak in there in case some of you guys have seen the movie – or don't care, <laughs> and, but do care about the Game of Thrones stuff. So we'll stick. We'll stick. With, we'll stick on topic. But uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. What do you think? I thought it was good. It was. It was sad as I. Ex- well, it was sad mostly how I expected it. It was not. It's a. Pr- this is the. This is the problem, and I don't mean because it's. it's because the movies are not high quality, they're very high quality, and 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 Fox needs to be applauded for the approach they took in doing all three of these movies, Rise, Dawn, and War, because they really showed a lot of respect to the property that they had and why it worked the first time, and they built a good story about characters and characterization, and that's and so the directing, the writing, Andy Serkis as Caesar was amazing throughout the entire trilogy. So all that, so all that works. Now the story is. Caesar's story has always kind of been sad. I mean, there's always aspects to it because, in a way, Caesar is—he can't help being—he's—he's he's locked in because he's basically a product of two different cultures, if you will. You know, he's an ape, but he essentially was raised as a human for for the formative part of his life, and then he had the culture shock and had to and had to try to living with his own people, but that he still had a lot of the humanity in him. 
So the story was always going to be a sad because in a way he doesn't entirely belong to either. He obviously does camp. He doesn't belong to the humans, and the, some of the apes still. We saw a lot of that in Dawn. Don't entirely did not entirely embrace him because of the fact that he had such ties to hum, to humans. So this this was sad. Uh, I think the I think the way they ended his story was almost as well as I could have hoped. I mean, it obviously could have ended a lot worse. I mean, as far as like we talked about in the movie <clears throat> the movie preview episode or our, our top five list. And they really were making no bone. I mean, they were really not making any bones about this, which is ironic because I want to talk about the marketing for all these movies. But one of the things that they were they were not playing games with was the fact that they essentially said this was the end of Caesar's story. As once you hear that, you kind of much you pretty much know that means one th- one thing, right, Chad? Dead. <laughs> I think everybody went in no pretty much assuming he was going to die. Uh, the question was, it didn't happen. What it didn't happen when I thought it would happen. No. And that's what I. That's the good thing. It didn't happen. It didn't happen with you know with you know him. You know it could. In a way, it kind of did because what led to his death happened kind of probably around the time we thought. But yeah. but you know he he was able to succeed in doing what he did. He didn't he didn't die in a huge battle, which is another thing we'll get into. He didn't. I mean, as in the apes being involved in a huge battle, he didn't. He didn't. I mean, he sacrificed himself to a certain extent, but he survived, and I even like the way he survived, which goes back to almost like the first time Caesar was ever freed in, in, in Rise, how he was climbing the trees and how he was encouraged to climb the trees by Will and uh, Will's father and stuff like that. So holding on to the tree and everything was kind of a cool way for him to survive You know, the, <laughs> the, the avalanche at the end and also, uh, again, an homage to the end of the first movie when all the apes are climbing up the trees and stuff when they're first – free and go into the forest so i think that i think his story i think his story ends pretty satisfactorily i i really even at the very end i was still kind of hoping you didn't see him die on screen i really was hoping that maybe they they were just not going to show you that not and not just as a cop-out because technically if you don't see it happen he could they could bring him back not not i was I was thinking about this today. I almost wish that before he had actually, like, you know, lost consciousness and then, you know, faded away, that they kind of cut away before that happened and then just show us the show us the scene that we saw anyway, which was after all the apes had fu- were were kind of done or got interrupted celebrating them finding their new home, and then they all kind of turned back to where. Well, that's because Mo- that's because Maurice was making a sound. That's true, but yeah. they still, but they but I think they still could have they still could have done that too. And not necessarily showed Caesar die, but either have have yes have Maurice make the sound, and then have them turn to re and may, have it begin to dawn on them, no pun intended, that something happened to Caesar and what it was. Uh, I like the fact that we finally got Maurice to speak, which I think was I think I mean I certainly assumed that was going to happen in this movie. I was a little surprised that it happened with Nova that that was the first time that they had him speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, the end made sense for him to speak with Caesar. Uh, I did. I like it. I don't know where I would put it. I don't. I honestly don't think it. Other than the stuff that happened with with his his wife and his son, which is really sad. I don't think that was really sad. I don't. I still don't know if that makes me. F- 
it makes me feel really bad, but I don't know if it made me feel as bad as I felt watching Rise when there's so much in Rise that's really sad when he's separated from Will and dealing with that culture shock. I think Dawn actually is the one that's the least sad to me, despite the fact that he almost gets killed. But but that's a pers- But that's more of a. But it's seeing what ha- I don't know. I I don't feel on a personal level with Caesar. I don't think the second one. Based on the events of that movie, or is sad. Obviously, the repercussions for what happened in Dawn is the ultimate sadness because his misjudging of in his relationship with Koba, which is appropriate that they have Koba in flashbacks and in like dream sequences here because his mistake with Koba not d- literally haunts him and is ha- and haunts the apes because if he had handled Koba differently, the war would may never have started to begin with. So it's I do kind of like you know. Dealing with his own sins and everything like that. Uh, I'll, I'll add some more, but you tell me. What, but you you add some stuff. I don't want to keep. Um, it is. It's not a bad movie. It's my least favorite of the three. Um, I think my problems with it might come as a result of what I was expecting of it, given the title. Yes, and that's something I, I touch th- upon too. I think I think the key word in the title that made me think it was going to be a different movie than it was was four, war for the planet of the apes. To me, in my mind, that meant apes versus humans. This is the final, you know, all-out battle between the two of who has the final dominion over the planet, kind of a thing. Yes. Um, and we didn't get that. Now, don't get me wrong. In the context of the movie, what we got, yeah, it could still make sense. But it complete, it was so completely a 180 from my expectations of it that I just felt like, eh. I also think a, a, an issue in this movie might have been the human perspective. Because this is the first movie of the three we've gotten where we have not had a human perspective at well, all. Other than Nova and she doesn't talk, so it's limited. Yeah, exactly. So we don't get a lot there. So I don't know if that maybe limits your um, involvement, investment in the story because you don't have a human to relate to. I I don't know if that matters for some people or not. Uh, It depends on, I guess it depends on the movie and how it's done because I'd I'd say that most movies have to have a human or human-like protagonist because that's what we can identify with, and the, but I feel like there are movies out there who have that have successfully done that before, uh, where they haven't had human protagonists or human-looking protagonists, and uh, and still made a really successful movie. Uh, but I just feel like that anchor point wasn't there, and in this case, it might have hurt the film uh, if the film maybe had done A, B, C, or D better. Maybe it wouldn't have mattered, but. <clears throat> That's neither here nor there. Um, the stuff with with Caesar and his his family and everything that was all cool. The graphics were fine. I, I just don't know. I just don't know how I felt about it. I just feel like it was a general popcorn flick. It was a, it was a really depressing movie. Um, I, I I expected more. Um, you know, <laughs> Battle of the Bastards <laughs> kind of, you know, <laughs> Battle of the Bastards kind of just like all out war brawl. And I, I expected more viciousness, I guess. I don't I don't know. I just expected a, I expected a war and I didn't get a war. I got 
barely the battle for Helm's Deep. <laughs> well, not uh, all. I mean, battle for Helm's Deep was a pretty big battle. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? This is this is barely the apes have really nothing to do with anything in terms of conflict here. They, they, they and we we said spoilers, so I don't care. The the. They, they kind of there's a fight at the beginning between humans and apes, and that was cool. At that point, I was already in because this is like a skirmish that leads up into the big conflict, you know, blah blah blah. That's really the only battle between humans and apes we get, because after that point, Caesar's family is assassinated. Caesar tries to go up against uh, the general, and that doesn't work. He tries to track him down, but by the time he actually gets face to face with him, he's already kid. Uh, 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 he's already um, taken the entire community of apes hostage, and then when they get out and escape, it's right before the battle between the two humans, the, the, the two human groups. So there really is no ape versus human conflict whatsoever for the most part of this movie. So it was just completely a 180 from what I was expecting. And because of that, the rest of this movie is, for the most part, just depressing. Whether it's Caesar on a vengeful mission or Nova being left alone or the funny slash sad aspect of this one new apes kind of story or whatever. Steve, I mean, Steve Zahn did a really good job with Bad Ape because he is both. I mean, he is a very... Sad, tragic kind of figure, lonely figure, but yet there is a certain humor to him just because it's Steve Zahn and he brings that to what he, you know, that's who he is. But yeah, right. uh, but and we'll talk, and I, and I do want to talk about the relevance of that character as in not just who he is in the movie, but what that, what his significance is really supposed to mean going forward. Uh, hmm. But, but, but yeah, so, so there's that. And then you have the sad, almost internment camp, like World War II internment camp sort of visuals uh, that, of what's happening to the apes, uh, you know, the, then the, the, them, it's the, them escaping and trying to save one another and the kids being separated from the adults and it's what's happening to Caesar and him being tortured. Like, it's all, like, so depressing and, and dark and just moody and awful and it's just like, there's no... It's, that's not what you expect when you go into, like, a war for the Planet of the Apes type of titled movie. Um, and and just just to throw in some slight consistency here, lately on anytime we review a, a comic issue, we kind of nitpick some things here and there. I did have one nitpick about this movie in terms of logic. When Nova enters the camp, yeah, no one how, seems to notice. Yeah, how nobody notices her is utterly beyond me. <laughs> this is a camp that you can tell. Every other scene, you see people walking the perimeter, you see searchlights, you see everything. And Nova runs into the camp, past the gate, up to Caesar's pen, gives him water, like walks away, grabs a bucket, brings it to him, dumps it in his face, (laughs) runs across the street for the most part, over to the other apes. They give her seed, she runs back, feeds him, like, and manages to get out. Like, what happened there? How does this military installation have no idea what's happening within their own walls? Like, and and not to mention, and this this, this is like another half of that same thing. 
It is no surprise to anybody that see at, at this point in the film, when this film starts, it's really no surprise to anybody that Caesar can speak in terms of the humans. It's not a surprise. So the story of Caesar has spread. Everybody knows that Caesar can speak. If Caesar, for the most part, is the only ape that can speak and everybody knows it, how much more likely is it that the humans know that the apes can communicate by sign language? No, that's got to be a whole. That's got to be a whole lot more likely to be understood, doesn't it? No, see, I see. I don't. Th- I don't know. I see. I don't think so. I don't buy. I don't because. Because if they really think – they may think they're intelligent, but if they still ultimately think of them as apes, they would not necessarily think they have a real form of language other – like that. I don't and – and, and as we saw with – and as we saw with the bad ape character, the sign language is not like something that's in natural – is necessarily in like built into the in, into the apes. It's because Caesar learned it. It's because Maurice learned it, and it's because it was their way of being able to communicate by and being silent, and so no one else would know what was going on. So they didn't have to verbalize. So that's why they that's why they kept that going, and, and they taught themselves that, and they taught their children that. And we saw with bad ape and and, and that. If you if you're not brought up that way, if you're not raised that way, then that's just like you and I not knowing sign language because we, we wouldn't think twice about it because we because we can hear and we can speak. So why would we know it? So I don't, I don't know. I just think with the sheer amount of apes that do know it, and I know they're all part of Caesar's tribe or whatever. I understand what you're saying, but with the sheer amount of apes that do know it versus the amount of apes that can talk, <laughs> like because donkey can talk. You know, so there's clearly this ability is spreading. Um, but like, I just feel like it would, it would be almost as well known that some apes can speak sign language. And if this is a true, true blue military installation, and it really does seem like it, and they've got guards everywhere, and they do have power, they do have power at this installation. That's, that's another thing. Would they have cameras? Would they have somebody watching? Would they have somebody watching footage? Would ha- like, I feel like apes communicating in sign language <laughs> across a wide gap like that would be overheard, quote unquote, <laughs> and translated so somebody would know what's going on. And I feel like that potential could make an interesting twist. You know what I mean? Like, what you didn't think we had somebody who understood sign language? <laughs> like we knew what you were planning, you know that kind of a, a kind of a twist, kind of a thing. Um, so like I, I don't I don't know. That's that's more of a nitpick. It's more the Nova side of things that bothers me on that regard. But it just made because I was already down that line of thinking with the Nova issue. I was like, wait, is somebody there watching them to see what they're saying to each other across the street <laughs> through yeah. a wide gap fence. <laughs> yeah, that, that I, I will, I will agree. That one's, that one's a little hard. That one's a real hard to, to overlook. Uh, before I, yeah, I want to, I, there's, there are some plot points I want to talk about, but let's, but I want to go back since you, oh, before I go into what I want, because you opened the door for expectations, and I wanted—I really want to go into that. But bef- but before I segue into that, his story, Caesar's story, is inherently sad, and I think, and it doesn't mean that it's—it uh, had to be this sad. But I think, in a way, 
as this movie makes it perfectly clear by the time you know by the time you get to the end that if there was any doubt whether Caesar is supposed to be more Moses than Jesus. Oh yeah, he's Moses. This yeah. this this movie makes it absolutely clear. His he 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 is you know symbolically he is Moses. His job is to get the his people to the promised land. And even though he technically does get to the promised land, at least the outskirts thereof, he doesn't get to partake in it, and he doesn't get to in you know embark in a life there. His job was to get them there safe, and that's why when he gets there. You know, he he can pre- pretty much die peacefully at that point from his wound because he did what he needed to do, and so there's no doubt. Yes, absolutely, symbolically, he is absolutely he is he is Moses. That's what he's going through, leading him through the desert to the, get to, to the oasis. That's 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 that is absolutely. That's well, it. I mean, the other the other movies too. I mean, he's 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 born. And then he is saved from a mass slaughter of his people. You know, his what's his name from Genesis says kill them all, and they end up saving the one baby ape that nobody knew was there. That is true. Uh, uh, he's taken to be raised among people that are not his own, and then when he's exposed to his people, he has some sort of reservations, and then he is finally accepting who he really is. And then when, and then the next movie, he fights his brother Moses versus Ramses. I mean, there's, 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 there's. I mean, the the Moses stuff is is not just this movie. It's the it's the entire trilogy. Yeah, that's that is true. That it, this 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 just if there was any really doubt about it, this just you know the ending of this it it, it absolutely just you know puts that nail that final nail in. Um, before I get to the plot points, I want to talk about the expectations, and that may have. That may have hurt box office for this movie. I mean, box office in general was down this week. I mean, Spider-Man dropped like a rock too. But if, but if you look worldwide box office for for War, it's definitely down from Dawn, and it's more on the level of Rise, which is not bad. But you know, this movie cost a lot more money than Rise did. I had an issue with this in every single movie, and maybe this was the movie that maybe it was a cumulative effect, and maybe it did have an effect on enthusiasm for this movie. And for and affected the box office too, but as good as Fox has been at the writing, the casting, the acting, everything, directing of, of this trilogy, and this is a this is a blueprint essentially. If you want to reboot a beloved existing property, this is you should look at what Fox did with these three movies from a creative point of view because they got it and they. And this was a franchise nobody was begging to see revisited thanks to the abortion of the t- of the. Uh, Tim Burton movie, but this movie, but this trilogy, so they deserve all the credit for that. The one thing they don't deserve credit for, in my opinion, is I think they've marketed these three movies very deceptively and did a lot of false advertising in these for for all three of these movies in this trilogy. For those who don't remember, you go back to the first teaser trailer for Rise of the Planet of the Apes. They took every scene of Caesar looking sad. Uh, being brooding, being contemplative, being almost looking plotting, and they cut them all together to, to make you think this was the most evil, malevolent, you know, a b- bad seed ape bent on the destruction of, of of mankind. Which, of course, as we know, the character was the complete opposite thereof. And this is the first taste people got of the new movie. Plus, they already were making it clear this ape's name is Caesar. There already was a, you know, when you have a chimpanzee named Caesar in Planet of the Apes, even before Andy Serkis put his imprint on it, there was an expectation of what you were going to get because of Roddy McDowell's Caesar. 
So when you portray that character as looking like he's a he's a malcontent and he's a problem, when you're also when you also know you're making a movie in which these are the characters you're rooting for. This series succeeds, this trilogy succeeds, much like most – well, at least the second half of the original five movies succeeds in making you root against your own species. You're rooting for the, for, the, for the downfall of your own species as a dominant form of life on this planet, which is not easy to do. And giving them credit, they've done it twice in the same franchise doing that. But why you would advertise – to forgive the first taste you would give people of your of your revisiting this movie and make it look like the apes are the bad guys when you know that they're not and that you the character you're planning on following is the main character, making him look like he's evil, makes no sense whatsoever. They did back away from it when they did release the full trailer, but still it doesn't make a difference. That's the first taste people got of this. Nobody had any expectation going when they first heard they were doing Rise. People thought it was going to stink. It was good. The critics liked it. The people liked it. They, no, quote unquote, no harm, no foul. Now we move to Dawn. Now Dawn, in my opinion, had the most deceptive marketing of all three of these movies, because Dawn played on our own expectations of what we were going to see, and they gave us every reason based on what they showed us to think this is what we were going to get. That almost all the apes were good, almost all the humans were bad, the humans were going to start the war. And that Gary Oldman's character, the leader of the hu- of the human uh, enclave there, was kind of essentially more or less going to be like what we got from Woody Harrelson in this movie, that he was just determined to go to war, to kill the apes, to wipe them out, and that's all he cared about. None of that was true in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Caesar's inner circle was, was not to blame, but the apes were more bad than good in that movie as a whole, and certainly more bad than good when you compare it to the number of bad humans we saw in that movie. Most of the humans were not bad in that movie. Not really. Yes, it was Koba who, who started the war. But it wasn't just all Koba's apes. A lot of these apes were Caesar's apes who then went to Koba, who then went back to Caesar. Which is another, pro- which is something which, I guess if there's one thing and you look at the ape culture, that is maybe, maybe if we can pattern, pat ourselves on the back a little bit, that we might be better at. While we do tend to be a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately society, the apes are a serious what-have-you-done-for-me-lately society. They will turn their fucking backs on you in five seconds because you're looking like the loser and come back to you five minutes later if they think you're the winner. We got that in all three of these movies. I mean they treat it – Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's the pack mentality. Yeah. Like it, you're getting attacked by the pack, but if you take down the alpha, that's all that matters. Yeah, so the apes have made it clear that that's the way, that's the way they react. So, so – all the apes that were held held on that bus in the second movie, the ones that were the ones that were not you know not the ones that didn't had managed not to get captured, but all the ones that were on that bus were the ones super loyal to Caesar, and people knew that. Other than that, you had people that either joined Coba or just weren't going to rock the boat. So they were kind of complicit either way. And then most of these ape, most of these apes came back to Caesar. Obviously, we found out in this movie that the inner circle for Coba didn't. They were the ones that went to work with the humans. But still. I mean, so that I, and and Gary Oldman's character was completely not a bad guy. He was more, he would he was willing to kill the apes if he had to to get you know to to help his people get the power back on. But once Jason Clark con- convinced him to hey, I think we can we might be able to do this without. Let me try. He said okay. You have a certain time frame. The lights came on. They were fine. Doesn't mean it wouldn't have been a problem down the road. But Koba and the apes started the war, which is another. Even though Caesar's not behind it. It is still kind of a problem when that's the side you're set up to root for in these movies, but they technically started the war. 
So that was, mm-hmm. so the marketing in that movie, I think, is the most problematic, and maybe that trickled over to this movie. But clearly, the biggest issue with the the only major marketing or deceptive part of this movie is exactly what you touched upon. The movie is called The War for the Planet of the Apes. The movie is being marketed with the winner-take-all slogan and stuff like that. And you, and you see some of the posters about, like, Caesar leading this huge army of apes towards the soldiers. The only battle you get in the movie is in the very beginning. That's it. The real battle at the end of the movie is between Woody Harrelson's troops and the, and the other humans who think Woody Harrelson is batshit crazy and and still want to kill the apes themselves. But they, know, but, but they just think Woody Harrelson's going nuts killing his own people. Though Woody Harrelson has a reason for that, which we'll get to in a second. But But still... There is no war. This movie tells you, gives you that, you know, that, that this is going to be the climactic battle where the winner is a dominant species on the planet, and that doesn't happen. Does not happen. The apes may very well now be the dominant species on the planet because, if we are really led to believe this was certainly the, at least on this side of the world, the last major organized military force going against the other, and basically got wiped out. Be- with the avalanche, you know, the, the force that was not wiped out by the attack, then okay. But still, there is no – the only war – there is no war for the Planet of the Apes. It really is a battle, and it's basically a battle between humans with the apes literally caught in between. Yeah, the most iconic imagery we get from this uh, in terms of, like, marketing would be that poster you see of Caesar on horseback facing the viewer in the snow. Like, what does that scream to you except, like, somebody about to lead the charge into battle? You know what I mean? Yes. And, and, even and, some- then, and then there's that, that, that glass art I showed you. That is an ape holding an automatic weapon. Like, it's, it's, it's apes plus weapons. It's like, it's just screaming, fight, fight, fight. It's like this big... Let yes. them fight. Yeah, let them fight. There we go, another one. There's a Godzilla franchise yes. reference. <laughs> so uh, yeah, which by the way, I haven't seen Kong Skull Island yet. I need to see that. Yeah, I think. You'll, uh, I think you'll like. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so the, there's there's that. It's just all of all of the marketing for it, all of the name of the movie itself. I mean, just everything about this screams climactic epic battle. Right, because you when you really think about it, when from a, from an from an apes versus human perspective, we actually got more of a battle in Dawn when Koopa, when yes. Koopa was attacking that, the, the 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 camp of the the city. That was more of a real battle between the humans and the apes that we got in that movie. And you can't have that when you call the movie War for the Planet of the Apes. You 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 can't have that. You can have a personal story for Caesar. You can you can you can have that you know that's you know that arc on his own. There's an expectation here. Even even some of the stuff in the commercials, like when you saw the camp at night and you see the apes like crawling on the on the ropes and stuff up the top. You are they are tell, they are marketing that on purpose, thinking that's related to the attack. You know that's related to the battle that's going to take place. No, it's the children being led out of the out of the camp because they can't get them out underground because it's flooding. They had to come out with another way, so they had all the children get out overhead, which was still you know shaky because if something went wrong, boom, target practice. But so the I I had like I said this had been something that bothered me for all three movies and maybe this maybe this did the chickens did come home the roost in this movie when it came to this because maybe dawn turned people off and then maybe word of mouth that not because this movie isn't good but because there isn't a lot of action in this movie I f- personally felt it was once they got in once everybody was being held prisoner except for Maurice and Rocket uh 
and Bad Ape. And Bad Ape. Uh, that. I thought the, in Nova that the thing dragged. I think the movie started to drag a little. The stuff between Woody Harrelson and Caesar was always cool. It's just that it was in and and, I, and from a plot point point of view that I had an issue with this. Now maybe you felt differently. Did you think that the the, the soldier Caesar saved in the beginning was going to turn at one point and help him? The yes. Woman? Yes. And I and I think the reason why we both think that is because being direct being blunt they fucking foreshadow this by the look on his face and the way he's reacting to things all throughout the movie they 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 make they almost give they talk about a red herring they paint they paint this picture that this guy's conflicted he kind of knows caesar's not a bad guy caesar spared his life and yeah they foreshadow what happens at the end a little when woody harrelson says i hope you don't come to regret sparing his life and pointing out what a good shot he is but to have this guy who seemingly is on who maybe he's got some loyalty to the colonel but maybe maybe there's loyalty, but it's probably just as much fear of him. To have him be the one that actually ends up fucking shooting the arrow into Caesar, which leads to Caesar's eventual death, just also to give a redemptive moment to friggin' Red slash Donkey, who was nothing but a total asshat of a character throughout the movie. Who probably? Oh did, yeah, that that motivation made no sense. Even even after Caesar's explanation of why these apes are working for the general, it still made no sense. Yeah, it's like, I mean, they... Koba started a war against the humans with the intent of killing them all. So why would these apes go work for the humans if the intent was to kill all the humans? And, and, and again, because they're intelligent, why would they really think that once Caesar and his apes were wiped out, they wouldn't just kill all kill, kill all of them once they don't need them anymore? There's, yeah, Caesar makes a point, and it's like it's like donkeys thinking about it. Yeah. And it's like, what what is there to think about? You didn't think about this yourself? Like, I get that Caesar's probably maybe one of the smartest among all of you, but it's not that difficult of a conclusion to reach. No, so that, that so I thought from a from a writing perspective, I thought that was a horrible missed op, missed opportunity. That if I was going to give a redemptive or a a nice moment to one of the two characters, I would have gave it to that human, to that soldier. Especially after, especially let's say he could have been he could have arrived right at the moment when the colonel shoots himself in the head, when Caesar refuses to give in to hate. He doesn't turn to the dark side as much as he wants to. He doesn't kill the colonel. And he could have seen that, and he could have realized, okay, I'm kind of free from following the colonel now. Let me help. C- let me help Caesar. He deserved, I think, the the redemptive moment more than Red slash Red Donkey did. It, it made it was stupid. It was a stu- uh, to me that made no sense whatsoever. And then you have an, and it's like an, it's like pouring salt on the wound literally because once again Caesar's um, 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 Caesar's moment of compassion comes back literally to bite him in the ass because if he had just killed this guy in the beginning or let his guys let his soldiers kill him. He would not have been able to kill Caesar at the end, and he maybe he would have been able to, you know, survive and and, and get into the promised land and 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 live there. Um, so I thought that that really bothered me because I think they were perp- again talk about decept- deceptive. I think they were purposely setting setting that up. I did like the fact that they they do give you the first, even though the timelines are never going to match. The people they're doing their very best to show you how almost in an alternate universe how things could have led from a to b to c to get you to the world that we saw in the original 1968 movie the timelines and the events are never going to match because they already don't they already don't match how the apes became 
You know, they, they, that doesn't match. You know, Nova is not supposed to be our Nova from the first two movies. It's just supposed to be a... Which means Cornelius is not supposed to be our Cornelius. No, it's, no, no. It's, no, no. It's, it's, they're both names passed down. Right, and because in, in, the, in the original five movies, Cornelius... Cornelius had a son who really was actually Cornelius had a Cornelius and Zira's son they who they actually named Milo after Dr. Milo who eventually mm-hmm. chose his own name to be Caesar and Caesar had his son named Cornelius to for his father who was killed in 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 5 in battle by General Aldo. So in this obviously in this series of events we have Caesar naming his not his firstborn son either that was bright eye that was excuse me blue eyes. That he named his second his second son there was Cornelius, who was actually named after the, the the mother who was named Cornelia. Caesar's wife is named Cornelia, so the son is named Cornelius. So it's they're not the same characters, but they're giving us but they're giving us names that mean something to us in this trilogy. Just like uh, Caesar's mother was nicknamed Bright Eyes, which of course is what's what Zero nicknamed Taylor in the original in, in the original movie. What uh, Mal, Mal, Malfoy's character uh, when he was at the Ape Sanctuary was named, I think, Lodge, Dodge Landon, I believe, and that's the name of the other two astronauts from the plan, from the original Planet of the Apes movie with, with Taylor. So they give us a lot of ties that make Nova. And they give us a lot of a lot of ties to 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 make it seem like it, it's kind of like a variation on on, on the universe, but it's never going to match completely. But they did a good job taking us. Giving us another step in this movie that was not in the second one or the first one, which was left hanging, which was how could – okay, you explain how the, how the humans got decimated and how their numbers would be cut dramatically. So the apes over time maybe could be on equal footing with them, maybe. But, how, but the, they were still smart and they still could speak. So what happened? So now they kind of did touch upon that in this movie about having the virus, the flu, the simian flu virus mutate more and that robs you of your speech. And seemingly is able to rob you over time, maybe depending on when you get it or or who of of where you get it from, or because maybe Nova is like a carrier, but she didn't get the full blunt the brunt of it, so she lost her voice. But maybe she's because because of the way her metabolism, maybe she didn't lose her intelligence. But everybody else supposedly, you're going to lose your voice if you catch it, and you're going to lose an adult anyway is going to lose their capacity for higher reasoning which could which certainly could lead to a, a human race like we saw in the original in the original planet of the apes so I, I did i did like that and the other thing which goes back to bad ape bad ape moving his individual characteristics aside part of the reason bad ape is supposed to was important to the story is because he's supposed to show you that a not all the apes that exist in the world are caesar's apes mm-hmm. and that when they you are when you are in a vacuum Without the influence of someone like Caesar, that your value system and the way you behave and and how you th- and, and what you think is right and wrong can be dramatically affected. So when you look at it from that perspective, along with the the pack mentality of what and the what have you done for me lately ability that no matter who they're loyal to today, that can change tomorrow. You absolutely can see where a society that starts off with morals and ethics and compassion because of Caesar could end up to the society that we see in the 1968 movie. So I do I did I did really I did really like that part of it. Uh, one thing I'll say in a positive vein about this is I took uh, my friend Tara. Uh, if you guys follow me on Facebook. You've seen her tagged in a bunch of stuff. 
I went to high school with her. She's a longtime friend of mine. Uh, I took Tara to go see it. Tara has never seen Rise or Dawn. Okay. Uh, no interest. As a matter of fact, when I tried to tell her, you know, I was like, look, I'm going to go see this movie for, you know, an episode we're doing with my show, blah, blah, blah. Uh, she goes, like, I have no interest in seeing talking monkeys on screen. Like, that's pretty much verbatim what she said. But she had nothing else to do, and it was like either that or sit at home all day and feel guilty about being lazy. Uh, which it's Sunday, so I guess you're inclined to be lazy. Uh, but anyways, she's like, fine, it's, if you're paying, and so I, I had some free tickets, so we went to go see it. She liked it. She really enjoyed it. Um, but I think it's, I, I, I thought you thought that was interesting. She has no interest in seeing, she goes from having no interest in seeing a movie about talking monkeys, according to her, uh, to walking out of the theater and enjoying the movie. Now, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know there'd be those little credits like synopsizing the first two movies at the beginning of this movie. Which was, which so was gave, good, which was a nice touch. Right, but I did give her a quick, like a 10 minute recap, which I thought was interesting because as I'm like, you know, one of those, it was one of those moments like, you know, when you're talking and, you know, you're kind of almost on autopilot while thinking another thought in the back of your head. <laughs> like, I'm spewing all of this out, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, at, like, as I'm as I'm talking and explaining the, the plot of the first two movies, I'm thinking in the back of my head, should this be should it be this easy to recap two movies? <laughs> like it's it was like five ten minutes maybe <laughs> to go like all right look there's this Alzheimer's thing <laughs> the virus mutates it kills humans <laughs> like it was super easy to encapsulate the plot of the first two movies so she's prepared and has everything she needs to know for the third. <laughs> but yes, somebody who has no interest, no prior experience with Planet of the Apes, no interest, even in the most recent iterations, went to go see this movie and walked out really enjoying it. So I don't know what that says for it, because you've got all this experience with Planet of the Apes like since the very beginning. I enjoy the current new trilogy and have some experience with the old stuff. She has zero experience. So our levels of enjoyment differ based on, I guess, our exposure to the franchise. So I just thought I'd throw that out there for an alternate viewpoint that somebody who has no experience with the franchise at all, including the most recent movies, walked into this movie and then walked out enjoying it. And I think, I mean, as we wrap up the, you know, this, the, this, this, this segment, I think it was good. I... Like I said, it could, from a from a personal perspective, I guess Caesar's story could have ended worse, and I guess that was the thing that was always bothering me about going in, because Caesar, because Caesar's a character, he's a, which is really interesting to say when the fact that he's not a human at all, that he's one of the most human and humane characters we probably have ever seen on screen, and certainly in a trilogy, and he has so much emotional depth to him, and his story's been so you know really sad on many levels, but yet you know. Again, he was he, he was meant to go through what he went through for his people. That pretty much. So I, I'll I don't know what where they're going to go with this. I actually don't necessarily hope they'd come back to this anytime soon. You know they're going to come back to it. I hope they take like a few years off, and I don't mean like three years. Like, but the green light the next one, and it'll come out like in in uh, in twenty twenty. No, I I really hope they take some time off to really think about how they want to approach it. I think it is different. I don't necessarily 
going back to something you said, I don't necessarily know if it hurt this movie so much to have it all from an ape perspective because let's be honest, the humans in this movie were a lot – where this was the worst bunch of people that we've seen in any of the – in all three movies combined. This was the worst group of Oh, humans. absolutely. I'm not saying it didn't no. make sense. I'm no, just saying that no, we, it's, it's something we had very noticeably in the first two movies that was very clearly missing from this movie. Yes. Now, whether it was it was missing to the detraction of the quality of the film is the point that's up for debate. It's just that there's th- that was one extremely key and and popular element with the first two films that was not at all in this film. It was all ape focused, all ape point of view. That is true. Yeah. So. But it, I certainly, if you if you like the first two movies, you certainly should see this one. It's good. Andy Serkis's performance is great. It's still too bad that they and them though they have those stupid rules about you know the motion cap actors can't be nominated for Academy Awards. It's too bad because certainly as, just as a body of work, let alone his whole career, but just what he's done as Caesar in these three movies. I mean, I think he deserves a not certainly at least a nomination. Uh, it's just. It's, it's, a, it's a character you, you kind of hate to see go. I also kind of wish, just from a personal standpoint, you would have known a little bit more about what, what the line of succession was, short term, like what the succession plan was. Obviously, Blue Eyes would have taken over for Caesar probably if he had died and Blue Eyes survived. But the fact that you know Cornelius is a, is a baby, somebody has to step in. Maurice. The I, I think it's Maurice. Maurice or Rocket or maybe both. Maybe it'd be both of them because they, because Rocket Rocket would have the Rocket would have the the physical respect since it would almost be full circle too since we know Rocket was originally the leader of that of that band of apes when they were at the sanctuary before Caesar supplanted him. Uh, but Maurice, but the question is, would Maurice be strong enough? Would he have that strong of a presence to be able to take control? I, I would almost think that I would almost think, and we may never know because depending how forward this thing skips, you may never know. Uh, I would. I would like to think that maybe both of them would kind of rule together until Cornelius was old enough to to take over. But it's just one. Yes, yeah, if if they do another one, if it's because I think at this point, if they continue along this storyline, along this timeline, the next movie would just have to be an out and out remake of Planet of the Apes. Which they're not. Which and, they pretty much have said they're not going to do any time Which 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 I get and I understand and I have heard that it's just. I think the potential storytelling between this movie and that movie in terms of timeline, like what could have happened in between that time, it almost seems uninteresting. You'd have to come up with I'm, – I'm, I'm, ta- I'm talking about like – it's good that you said earlier you know, they'd have to really take their time and think about it because that's true. It'd have to be a really good story to get people interested in it again, based on how interest in this trilogy has kind of fallen over the years. It'd have to be a really damn good story to get people back in the seats. And the only thing I can think about is if people heard, hey, they're remaking the OG Planet of the Apes in this new style. Like, that's the only thing I could think about at this particular moment that would get asses in the seats. So it'd have to be something wholly original and incredibly intriguing. I would agree. If it, if, it were, if it were to take place between this movie we just talked about and the OG Planet of the Apes. Because, yeah, because I would suspect at the end of the day, they, they, they would like to do more of these to get to keep getting you closer and closer to, the, you know, the 
the this universe's version of the events of the original movie. They, we yeah. may never see that. We may never see a, a literal remake because what's the really? It's kind of it's going to be kind of hard to do it because it's hard to do it and make it effective because what made the first one work is the twist at the end. And if you do it in the series, I mean, everybody knows it's Earth, and if it's a continuation of the same series, you know it's Earth. So it's gonna it would lose some of its impact as far as, but yes, it, you could tell it. I mean, people, some people have suggested telling it almost like. Telling like the original movie, but like from the ape's perspective, not Taylor's perspective necessarily. But mm-hmm. I think they almost would be better off building up, building up, if they were going to go forward and just have the moment like when Taylor's ship reenters the atmosphere and like crashes or something, and that's maybe almost where you end it, and you just don't even bother going any going forward after that. But we'll see. I mean, the box office, like I said, it's it's not it's it's down from dawn, uh, and I mean, sell. I'm sure it'll do well. But the question is, are they, is it well enough to revisit it, and do we want them to revisit it after? Without Caesar, how? Without a character like Caesar, how are you going to go forward? And yeah, theoretically, you could have Andy Serkis come back and play Cornelius. But the point is, but, but still, I mean, what? Like you said, what story are you going to tell? Because, like apes versus apes in a civil war is not going to be that all enticing. Hmm. Not, especially if it takes place after a period of time when all the apes we really care about other than by name, like Cornelius, or would be gone. You know, it wouldn't be the same. So. All right. Uh, I know it's getting late, so you want to do Game of Thrones? We wouldn't have to spend that much time with it. Yeah, uh, honestly, Game of Thrones, and, and this, this particular piece isn't spoiler-related, but the I feel like Game of Thrones, don't get me wrong, it was a good episode, it was a good season opening, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like it was a lot of setup. Not a lot of payoff. Don't get me wrong. There was payoff. But it it wasn't something that requires a lot of dissection, I guess. Does that make sense? Like, there's, there's a lot there. But there's – it's just – everything that, that is there is almost like you, you – it's a continuation from the prior season in the order that you would expect it to go based on the trailers you've seen. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it was if you look at the history of the season openers, it, it's not surprising that it was it was relatively unspectacular. Though I guess it's a little it's somewhat disappointing when you only have a seven episode season to have. I wouldn't call filler, but you still have. So, but you, again, a lot of stuff you have is just stuff that's still going to pay off, and it does get old after a while when we know we're down to the final now down to the final uh, twelve episodes we're ever going to get of the show. That it kind of that it really and I and don't get me wrong I'm sure the pace for the show is going to be better because I don't see how it can't be this season because they got a lot of crap they got to wrap up just to get to where we're going to be at the end you know to begin the final season there's a lot of little lot of dangling plot points and characters that need to be pretty much dead you would assume by the end of the season uh, the beginning is the best part you know the, everything before the credits is the best part uh, it doesn't take very long to figure I mean. I guess for a fir- first few seconds, it could throw people off when Walder Frey there is talking, and you're trying to figure out what the hell is this? Is this a flashback? But all you have to like do is- Walder's perspective of the Red Wedding, like when when the audience was still blurred out at that point, I was like, wait, are we flashing back to the Red Wedding before he gave the signal? Like, and it's just Walder's Frey's perspective, and then obviously it went more in focus, and you can't see, you know, any of the Starks or anybody in in the frame. So then, then I understood. So. 
But yeah, for a moment there, I was like, are we flashing back to the Red Wedding? Right. And then it becomes clear. I mean, it becomes pretty clear afterwards. And the, and the wine thing was so telegraphed that it was pretty. Uh, but it's just Arya, yes, gathering all the phrase together for a feast and more or less un, in the guise of a feast just so she can poison them all and really truly get revenge for the Red Wedding by wiping out all the phrase and avenging her family. Um, it's a little disappointing that Arya seems to be marching south. We figured she was going to march north and go to Winterfell. Not uncharacteristic, but a little uh-uh. disappointing. Uh, it certainly raises it raises the bar for who's going to you know, like the, who will kill Cersei. That you know, I'm still betting on that it'll, it'll be Jamie. But I guess it raises the possibility it could be Arya because Arya could take the you know could take the face of somebody else close close enough to get in position to do it. Um, Arya taking the face of Jamie. See the problem with that, but that, is, but that it would mean Jamie's yes. dead. But Jim and I, do we do we expect Jamie to be alive at the end of this entire series? Oh no no no! I don't think Jamie yeah. will be. But I don't. But I think Jamie will outlive Cersei. I think okay. she, maybe not for by by a lot. I think because I think he's going to kill her because he's going to have no choice like he did with the Mad King. Because you could already tell in this episode he knows that she's pretty much bat, going even more batshit crazy than she normally is. So the unhinged factor for is going to really start growing, I think, and he's going to realize. And especially the more she kind of treats him like crap and and distances herself from the, you know the, the romantic aspect of the relationship, where I think that's going to also give him a little bit of perspective, probably take the take the – maybe lessen the love – the romantic love loyalty to, and, and make him look at it more being able to just be more objective about what she's doing but no I, I yeah that's Jim and I at the same point yes you could, t- he could she could take uh, Jamie's face but that would mean we'd have to and that'd be a crappy way for Jamie to die uh, so I don't but I don't think that I still think uh, Jamie's number one on the list to, to kill Cersei but Arya obviously enters into the picture if she's going to really continue on her way all the way to King's Landing I think I do like the way the episode was titled Dragonstone, and they did the all too typical, which was fitting in a way. How you, you hear the episode title is Dragonstone, so you figure you, you're going to see Daenerys somewhere in the episode more than the final five minutes, but it becomes clear as you get close. Oh, this is going to be the old the so, something we've seen all too often in the show that let's throw Daenerys in for the final five minutes because people love Daenerys and that's all you need and, and that's it. But they mentioned Dragonstone, the relevance of it all throughout the episode, whether you know it's Sam finding them out in the dragon glass or Jamie pointing out that they're, I think they're going to land at Dragonstone. Um, um, so it's it was it was a nice tie-in. The thing with Jorah was kind of cool that you know where Jorah is. Uh, not where you probably necessarily expected him to be, 100%, but I guess it makes sense maybe on one level that he would try to get cured by going there. Well, yeah, Daenerys told him to go find a cure. Where right. we're better place to find a cure than the place that sends out all the freaking maesters in the first place? He needs to, he needs to find uh, Melisandre there. <laughs> he might. Well, no, have you, have, you, have you seen the little screenshot slash uh, article that's been appearing all over online? You got to be specific. I may not have, but I so the the book that Sam was reading mentions a cure for the disease that Jorah has. Oh, does it? Yes. Supposedly, the book that Sam is reading has a mention of the cure within it. So that's interesting. Um, so it's there. Now it's also interesting too. I just saw a lot of like opposite side of the coin things in this episode in terms of uh 
well, not really a lot, but I saw one big one. The two queens with their two maps. Yes. Yeah. Uh, kind of plotting and scheming things. That was interesting. Another cool thing is, is you know, we before the, you know, even the trailer release, we all saw that photo of, uh, that set photo of Danny and John talking to each other. So we know that's supposed to happen at some point. I think we just figured out how. John just told everybody, go find all the effing dragon glass you can. Yep, and and Sam just found where all the dragon glass is and is sending, is trying to send a message up to John. Yep. So if John, so, so if John gets, so if John gets it, then he's got, then he technically has some leverage to try to convince people why at the very least he should take the meeting with Danny because they have what we need. Yeah. And a lot of people are, you saw the preview for the next episode. Yes. We're like, you can't trust the Targaryen. Some idiot out there online was like, Oh, this means everybody found out about John's lineage. <laughs> it's like no. you just saw an episode yes. <laughs> where Danny lands at Dragonstone and, and yes. Sam's saying, "Hey, go get the dragon glass." Yes. So clearly, they're talking about the Targaryen who has all the dragon glass. Yeah, no. How do you think all these people in the span of one episode right. figured out John's lineage? <laughs> yeah, and no, and, and no, no, no one's no one is going to figure no, no one's going to figure out John's thing for a while because realistically speaking. The the now now Bran might figure it out because he's at the wall. Bran already knows. Oh, you're well. Yeah, that's true. Bran, Bran. That's well. We assume Bran knows because he saw the vision of the birth. But we but the but the correlation to the the baby's eyes going to Jon Snow's face may have just been for our from our perspective. No, I'm pretty sure Bran knows. But either way, but but more people might know in general because depending if Bran either stays at the wall or or if Bran gets shipped off to Winterfell. So that kind of because you could very see you could very easily see them shipping Bran to Winterfell just because he's a Stark and they know John's there. Uh, you know, actually speaking of Bran, I said this out loud to Tara while we were watching it because that's that's one of the things we have to watch Game of Thrones, I guess. But anyways, I said this to her. I was like, you know, it'd actually be interesting. I hadn't thought about it until now as a real possibility. Now that John that that Bran is back past the wall, and John is king in the north, who is left? What's his name? What's his name? Who's in charge of the Castle Black right now? Oh, I keep forgetting his name. Yeah, I know. Who yeah. You mean. Obviously, he's friends with John. He's gonna let John know Bran's there, unless somehow Bran convinces him not to tell him. I don't know, but I, which I doubt because I feel like nobody could sway that dude to do anything other than John himself. <laughs> um, but anyways. I feel like, how is everybody going to react to Bran's three-eyed raven-ness? Like, is John just going to brush it off and be like, dude, you spent too much time beyond the wall? Or you've gone crazy, or your paralysis has affected your mind, like, whatever it may be? Like, how is Sansa, how is John going to react to Bran? If they, you know, encounter one another, and he's trying to warn them of all this stuff, are they going to accept it? On the on the kind of uh, you know things that God guys there haven't been dragons for hundreds and thousands of years and now they're back and now we just saw the dead rising <laughs> like sure why not Bran <laughs> Bran has these abilities uh, plus John has seen people warg before so it's like at what level will John accept what Bran may possibly tell him and will he accept it? That's the first time that thought has crossed my mind. This series is when he finally encounters him. What? It, what? To what level is he going to believe what Bran has to say? 
I don't think he'll. I think he would, based on everything he saw. I think he'll. He would believe Brand to begin. He, he might be prone to believe Brand to begin with, but I think I don't think he'll. Uh, I don't think he'll ha- say, "Oh, yeah, right. I died and came back, but I don't believe your shit." <laughs> no, I, I. I think. I think with everything John's seen, I think John is going to be pretty. I mean, if somebody, if somebody as straight laced as as. Uh, Sir Davos there can be stri- could be straight on board with all this stuff. I think someone like uh, John, who was who was probably, ne- I think John with everything he's gone through. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think he'll believe it. Uh, the stuff with Sansa and John was interesting. With, with John, at least them actually giving John a moment of growth as a leader, where he actually mm-hmm. you know he made he did he did make the right choice and he did it for the right reason. And while Sansa's concerns are legitimate, as far as needing that, her main point is she, that John needs to be smarter than both Rob and and their father, otherwise known as Uncle. <laughs> but but yes, in her point. But she was absolutely wrong to do to do what she did. Yes, you could make the point that if that he could have also told her what he was going to do, uh, what he was going to propose. But the fact is, he's he's the king. She's not. Behind closed doors, they could argue about what they want, but she, but she did undermine him. But he hand, he handled it absolutely correctly. The stuff I wonder hand- if I, I'm sorry. I wonder if the stuff with Sansa specifically isn't going in a direction that I'm not going to like the character as much because it's one thing to take her from being scared, timid, dumbass, naive little girl to finally growing a backbone. Then to immediately switch from having a backbone to being too big for her britches. Because I kind of got that vibe this episode. Like she's getting a little too cocky for her own good. And that could be very dangerous. Now, the stuff that happens in her conversation between her and Littlefinger, I, I, I don't, it made me kind of backtrack on that thought for a second. But at the same time, I also looked at it in a way of like, is there not a better way to handle Littlefinger here? Because she's just like she's just shutting him down to his face. It'd be one thing to shut him down to his face like she did, versus kind of playing his game, knowing what he wants, and just kind of manipulating him the same way he thinks he's manipulating her. She's she's smart enough to know that she can do that, but it feels like she's just like to his face, going, "Oh, I know what you want." No, fuck off. Like, I feel like that's what she's doing, and that's not the smart way to handle that, which made me think the whole she's getting too big for her britches type of thing. Her character's hovering on the border. I don't think I don't think she'll she'll go completely off the reservation. I don't think she'll do that. I but it Yeah, but yeah, her character definitely there, there is a certain element to her that makes you that makes you a little nervous about where she's going. Uh, the stuff with the hound, I thought was great. Mm-hmm. I thought the hound stuff, uh, along with the Arya stuff, the hound stuff was probably the best stuff in the episode. I like the fact that you're seeing you're seeing more an actual depth to his character, which we, they they were building towards that even d- during his the end of his run with Arya. But certainly since he basically you know he since he came, he came back from the almost dead himself. That he's now now, and the fact that he now sees saw the vision in the fire, which might also go a long way to maybe not making him quite so petrified of fire either. Maybe that's going to help him literally overcome you know his the one real fear that he has. That I do like the fact that he has that he seemingly is buying into the fact that there is a greater 
there's a greater war, a bigger than everyone else thing going on here, and that he can be a, a major factor in, you know, in what's what's coming. So I, I, I've I've have seen a lot of people refer to him now as Gregor Clegane because they Sand, in their Sandor, minds Sandor yeah Sandor Clegane because in their minds the Hound is dead. This is he's a he's a different person now. I think that would be. I think that would be. I think that would be valid. I, I'm so obviously. I think we'd like, and hopefully we'll get this. It would be nice to see him and Arya meet up again. But obviously, him and uh, what's her face, uh, uh, Brienne, meet up mm-hmm. again. That that's something you would like to think, especially especially since they did reference that in the episode about how she was able to defeat the Hound in like single combat. Do you think? Okay, so. When he's staring into the flames and he's talking about, I see the wall, you know, and he says the wall, and then that the fire does that thing where you know the, yeah, the log snaps and sparks shoot up. Do you think that means he saw the wall explode? Because he doesn't say it, but just the way he's referring to the wall, and then that snap of snap and explosion of sparks, like just. In the back of my mind, and from a cinematic kind of perspective, it made me think explosion. It could so, have been, it could have been foreshadowing. It could have been foreshadowing the the wall coming down. Yeah, and, and and if so, I was thinking one of two tacks. The first one, the obvious one, being that the walkers take it down or whatever it is that they do. The other one is that theory that's spreading like wildfire on the <laughs> wildfire uh, <laughs> on the internet. About this, yeah, the horn and the ice dragon. Yeah, that's that is that is a po- that is a possibility. It's I know a lot of people. It would it would make sense on one level. Uh, the only thing that makes me not, the only thing that made me not think that is the fact that. But if you look at the stuff between Euron and uh, and Cersei, I certainly got the impression that Euron wasn't coming back anytime soon. So if hmm. he, so if he had the horn or if he knew where the horn was maybe maybe he just has a there's a rumor or the, or the legend of where the horn is so maybe that's something different where he actually would have to go get it but I kind of just got the impression that you know if he really had it then he it wouldn't be taking him and that that was the gift he was going to give her then why would he you know then why would he give the impression that he wasn't going to be back anytime soon I and that could very well be the case. I kind of thought it was something a little bit more personal that he was going to be bringing her. Um, yeah. So. Hmm. Um. I don't know anything else about that. I think that I feel like that was it for the most that, part. I think I think for the most part that was I did I did like I did like the fact that you know once after those few logical moments of kind of like breathing in. The fact that you know she was back in her ancestral home. That uh, other than that, Danny was all business. You know, like yeah. shall we begin? Um, yeah. That uh, as it and, and luckily Stannis was nice enough to leave a war room intact for them. <laughs> uh, so and obviously we know next we know next week that uh, they're going to be trying to figure out you know what the strategy is. Uh, so, yeah. So, oh, the conflict in the strategy. Uh, I'm kind. I'm kind of guessing, based also putting, and it's hard to read. It's hard to read between the lines because obviously we know stuff can be edited in any way, any way you want. I, I'm kind of getting the impression that 
instead that instead of even attempting to go t- towards King's Landing, I think they're going to take cast, try to take Casterly Rock. I think that's what's Tyrion, because we know we've seen images of of the unsullied fighting the Lannister troops. So I don't necessarily think that's going to be at King's Landing. I think Tyrion might might steer her towards take take Casterly Rock since that take their home from yeah, them the same way you, they took their home from your home from you. Well, that's true too. But also, as Jamie was try literally trying to point out to Cersei that they barely, if they're lucky, they have three kingdoms, let alone seven, loyal to them. And the only kingdom that is truly loyal to them is their own. So if, if Casterly Rock were to be taken, if the Lannisters' homeland was to be conquered, then. That's certainly not going to have. That's, that would get every other every other kingdom that was even hovering on the border of loyalty to them to completely jump ship. It's like the Lannisters can't even defend their own homeland, and we're gonna we're gonna ally ourselves with them to help them defend King's Landing. No, we're gonna jump. Much like the apes, we're gonna jump on the winning side as quick as possible. <laughs> so I, that's what I kind of suspect. Uh, but it, it will be interesting to see the little chess match between Tyrion and Cersei as they try to outthink each other. And it's, it's it's always like that catch twenty two when you're when you're trying to plot strategy and it's like do you do do you come up with a strategy simply that you think works for you the best or you think or that you're comfortable with or do you try to do something different because you think the other side is going to expect you to do what you what you've done before or what, what's comfortable for you <laughs> so it's like do you outthink yourself too much or do, I mean that so that I think that's going to be that's going to be interesting of course I have more faith in Tyrion. Because Tyrion's a little more objective about things, obviously, and Cersei's just blinded by her, by her emotion. So, but I think, but but it was a good first episode, not a great first episode, but hopefully, episode two will. Because I really want to see the Danny and John meeting. Hopefully, that that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. So, um, all right. Anything else? No, and I'm not even prepared to do the closing, so let me get that ready real quick. Okay. Um, anything? So anything else you want to say in this fun, long but fun episode? I think that's going to do it. Cool. So let me do. Let me wrap us up real quick. Uh, email lanterncast at gmail.com. Website is lanterncast.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast to locate us on either of those. iTunes and Stitcher. We're on both. Wherever you listen to us, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, 708 Lantern, and give us some feedback towards this episode, what you'd like to hear. We know we have a couple of uh, – we do have a couple of pieces of uh, listener feedback. We have not ignored them. We probably will do them both next episode. And so if you get something in soon, you too can partake in the joy of feedback for next week. All right, guys. We will talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.